It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Alex Wilhelm's here from TechCrunch. Brian McCullough from the Tech Meme Ride Home Podcast. And my favorite gastronomad, Mike Elgin. Jack Dorsey's quitting at Twitter. What does it mean? What does Web3 mean? Alex explains. And Microsoft finally backing down on some changes to Edge. Plus, what's that mystery hut on the moon? It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit, This Week in Tech, episode 852, recorded Sunday, December 5th, 2021. Mystery Hut on the Moon. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Ignite. Learn more about how Ignite can protect your business from ransomware. See why it's rated number one for data security by real customers in G2 Crowd. Start your free trial today at Ignite.com. And by Stripe. Whether you're an online or in-person retailer, software platform, marketplace, or subscriptions business like ours, visit Stripe.com to learn more about how Stripe can support your business today. And by Worldwide Technology and Dell Technologies. With an innovative culture, thousands of IT engineers, application developers, unmatched labs, and integration centers for testing and deploying technology at scale, WWT helps customers bridge the gap between strategy and execution. To learn more about WWT, visit WWT.com slash twit. And by ExpressVPN. Going online without ExpressVPN is like leaving your laptop exposed at the coffee shop table while you run to the bathroom. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash twit and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news. I'm excited. I love this panel. Some of my favorite people. Alex Wilhelm is here. Owner of my childhood home. Reporter at TechCrunch. At Alex. I wish I, I only wish I'd sold it to you, Alex, and I would have some money for it. Yes, sadly, uh, you got none of the profits, but you have dragooned me into being on Twitter for like 10 years now. So I as a result, like I have, as a result, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a pleasure to be here, Leo. Thank you as always. Always a pleasure me. to see you. Also with us from Tech Meme Ride Home. Uh, the internet historian himself, Brian McCullough. Great to see you. Hello, Leo. In the pitch black environment. Right. Where are you uh, these days? Where do you live? Uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, usually, I when I do these, I do them from my office. And so this is the first time nice. I'm doing it from my Welcome. house. And it didn't work out. And so I'm trying to hide <laughs> everything. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, just to be clear, though, this is not my childhood home. Right? I mean, I don't think it is. Anyway, could be. I don't know. It's confusing. I was born in New York, raised in Rhode Island. And now we also go down the peninsula a bit to say hello to Mike Elgin, our good friend. Last hello. time I saw you, Mike, you were in Oaxaca. We were in Oaxaca. Yep. yep. Uh, you're going back tomorrow. Back tomorrow. We're going to be in Mexico City for three days and then Oaxaca for a week and then back here for the holidays. This, so. this was an amazing get. We're going to actually uh, get Mike and Amira on uh, our uh, Discord server do a special about the gastronomad experiences because super excited about that. I it's can't wait, can't fun. wait, and I just a huge uh, pleasure to do this. They go all over the world. We were in Oaxaca for the Day of the Dead. It was incredible. The food, uh, the people who were with us. It was just so much fun. 
And then you, you uh, left to uh, go to Indiana with Kevin, your son. How That's did that right. go? That's right. It was huge, Leo. It was so amazing. So it was the Indiana Tech Conference. The people in Indiana who run this thing just do an amazing job. And they bring literally educators from all the schools in the state to this place. And, and Chatterbox was the featured tech product. And he was doing four sessions a day. And it was just amazing. All these educators who were dying to get back in their classrooms were uh, learning about Chatterbox, learning how to build it, all that kind of stuff. So it was really, really ex- And I was basically a booth bunny. Um, <laughs> Uh, we don't say that anymore, do we? I was a, a representative in the booth, and uh, no, it was it was absolutely amazing. It's it was it's the first time I'd ever been to Indiana, and it was just a really great experience uh, for all of us. Chatterbox is Kevin's. If you go to hellochatterbox.com, you can read about it. Kevin's smart speaker that's designed for kids to learn literacy, to learn that the speaker is not a human, and you don't have to say please and thank you. Uh, but it's also uh, private, which is great. Um, really cool, yep. cool, cool product. It, it's a wonderful one. And if you want to know more, hello, chatterbox.com. So the last time uh, Adam Curry was on this show, uh, he uh, ex- expressed his feelings that the U.S. military had built a uh, army base on the dark side of the moon. Uh, that was the last time Adam Curry was on the moon. <laughs> but I imagine, yeah, ever, uh, on the moon or on the show. But I imagine he uh, is perhaps taking a victory lap right now because China's U-2 rover has spotted what the Chinese are calling a mystery hut on the dark side of the moon. It is a as close as you could. I mean, they're they're still they're going to drive over and see the three months away from that. <laughs> But uh, it takes a while, I guess. But it's uh, it's uh, apparently uh, about 20 meters in height. And it looks like a pretty human-made cube. Yeah. It's a 2001 A Space Odyssey, but it's our moon. And I'm it's, sorry. Uh, should I call it the blurred. monolith? It should be a monolith. Yes. Yeah. It's better than I'm hut. Probably got there. <laughs> no, no hut is 20 meters tall, I think is what I would start with. That's a mansion. And also hut is probably feet. not a good structure for the moon. More like for the no. South Pacific, maybe, or it's only, someplace warmer. It's, it's puzzling because it's only uh, 260 feet away from the rover, but it's going to take it three months to get there. Again, doesn't doesn't move very fast. <laughs> Get a helicopter, China, like everybody yeah. else. No, I you know it feels to me like it would be a great movie. Like uh, Bruce Willis and Matt Damon decide they want to get there before the Chinese rover. They got three months to create a mission, launch it, and get there to find out what that cube is. Um, and then, of course, where's Elon? Yeah, where's Elon? Elon or the, Amer- got time. the Americans and the Russians uh, want to be first to film a movie there. So Tom Cruise <laughs> is trying to get to the hut. And- <laughs> but it, it's crazy. Anyway, I, it, probably it's a boulder. Uh, this side of the moon has a lot, had a lot of impacts, uh, meteor impacts. It's probably just a boulder that is coincidentally square. Uh, but it could be uh, the, the long lost military base on the dark side of the moon. And I'm sure Adam will say it is for the next three months. So <laughs> I just wanted to give him a little heads up. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it there, it's out there. The, the truth is out there. Uh, that's not the big story of the week. Probably the big story of the week is Jack Dorsey's tweet, uh, which went, not sure anyone has heard, but, 
I resign <laughs> from Twitter. I'm out of here. Uh, left that day. Now, Alex Wilhelm, you cover financial markets. So yeah. there's been a number of speculation, a bit of speculation. One is that the, uh, the uh, activist investors, Elliott Management, who wanted Jack out last spring, maybe finally got their way. What do you think? I'm sure that's part of it. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that Jack has had an increasing interest in all things kind of cryptocurrency. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted some more time to focus on that. And with the changes we've seen at his other company, Square, it's not an enormous surprise to me that he was willing to kind of set down the Twitter mantle, especially because he had his kind of number two in place ready to take over. And, uh, you know, Twitter's in a good spot right now. I feel like its product work has been really good. They did fend off Elliott for some time. But, you know, I mean, how long can you really run two public companies when your heart's only really in one of them? That's my general read. So it's less pernicious and more just kind of like maybe it's about time. The market's generally kind of disappointed that Twitter, given its importance, uh, its cultural currency, uh, doesn't make more money. Um, and so they've been, you know, ang angry at Jack as if that's his fault. I'm not sure it is his yeah. fault. Uh, it's also, you know, he's not the only tech CEO to, to say, yeah, I'm going to get out of here now before it gets really hot in the kitchen. Uh, yeah. could have something to do with that. You agree, Mike? Well, I think that, I think that, um, the problem, I mean, I personally am disappointed because I feel like Jack Dorsey for whatever perceived flaws he may have was at least a very, very thoughtful person. Well, presumably still is. He's a very thoughtful person. And he's he's uh, I thought he was he did his best for the policy parts of it, for dealing with the impossible task of having free speech, but also not allowing lunatics to create too much trouble, et cetera, et cetera. And he handed the reins over to somebody who's essentially a technologist. I don't really think that the technology part of it is well, certainly not as a user, the part that uh, interests me the most. I would love for Twitter to continue to be, you know, the public square. Obviously, it's a terrible business um, compared to Facebook or Instagram or any of those other companies that have so many more opportunities to make so much more money simply because it's text-based and it's it's for people who want like a news fire hose. And that's always going to be a minority, right? So um, I, I think Twitter, you know, I would have loved for Twitter to have been the pet project of some billionaire. So he didn't have the the, uh, the pressure from activist investors to to push them to try to make it a, a cash cow like Instagram is. But well, know, and I, of course, sort of interestingly, the market's initial reaction to Jack's resignation was to boost Twitter's price by as much as ten percent, and then yeah. they announced that uh, the Twitter CTO, uh, also the guy in charge of Twitter's uh, crypto uh, arm. Um, uh, Parag Agrawal was going to take over and the stock plummeted. Right. Sell, sell, sell. <laughs> uh, um, yep. This is, uh, this is uh, your article, Alex, along with Natasha and uh, Amanda. Jack is leaving Twitter and we have thoughts. <laughs> this is in the equity Sorry podcast. about that headline. We have yeah, thoughts. Well, I, we've been working a lot this year, and so my, my title and headline discipline has declined <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. What does the tilde mean it, around thoughts? What does that mean, tilde thoughts, tilde? Is that like... Okay, so it, it, it's like this. So you don't read it, Jack is leaving Twitter and we have thoughts. It's Jack is leaving Twitter and we have thoughts. Thoughts. I believe, I believe that's the correct so way. it's the I, new I'm, scare I'm quotes. It's scare tildes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. 
or skill does if you're into it. Um, to, to, Mike, to Mike's point, though, the, the issue with Twitter and the billionaire idea is that it's a little bit too expensive. I mean, Twitter, I just pulled yep. up its um, stock chart yep. here. Uh, even after a lot of declines in the last couple of months, it's still worth $34 billion. And so it's not really an asset you can kind of tuck under your arm like the Washington Post. Unless so you're Elon love- Musk. Yeah, yeah even Elon's sold- not going to spend that much money on a money-losing social network. Come on. Right. Now, you're right. He has too much right. fun for free. So <laughs> I, I just wish it would have well, happened like 15, you know, 10 years ago, yes. 12 years. You know, That's years the ago. irony of this is people like Elon love Twitter and use it and they use yeah. it for free. And so they don't need right. to buy it because they've got the benefit of it. <laughs> they don't need to own this. What is, is it? Is it a dog? Is it? Is it? No, no. No, it's not a dog. It's it's not growing as quickly as it should. But I mean, like they just rolled out Twitter Blue. They've done very well with their audio product. They bought a newsletter product. Twitter is managing to kind of build on top of its core ethos, which is what Mike said that the stream of news, the fire hose of headlines. Um, and I, I'm kind of bullish. I mean, I'm now a Twitter Blue subscriber. Me I've too. never paid Twitter before. Anybody here not pay. paying three bucks a month for Twitter Blue? I'm not. You're not. Oh, I just haven't had time. I thought you'd be the first person. Sign How about you, Brian? I am paying, yeah. and um, yeah, that's I mean, who Twitter Blue appeals to, tech journalists. Right. One of the problems that <laughs> that's that's who Twitter appeals to. That's who Twitter. Yeah, but but hey. see, that's always been sort of the problem. Like philosophically, Twitter. There were times when they thought, or at least the markets thought, that they should be like Facebook and have billions of users or whatever. Like I feel like the problem has always been from a business perspective is that they have the ultras. And you can make a business out of ultras. You can make a business out of only the, you know, that 10% law or the whatever the percentages of your users that pr- produce most of the content. It's just that they've never tried to. And so like Alex is saying, a lot of these products are like, all right, fine. There's a certain percentage of you that live on Twitter all day. And I'll raise my hand for that one. And so, by the way, throw a couple shekels at us a month and, and you know, that's theoretically a good way to start building a business. Um can I can I make one other point though? Yes. This might this might lead us into what will logically be the next discussion into square slash block. But um, you know, so the only person left of these of this generation of founders of of social media platforms that is still at his founded company is is Zuck. And we talked about earlier how it's maybe no fun to run one of these anymore and oh. have everybody hate you. If and somebody's not having fun, it's got to be Mark Zuckerberg right now, right? So, you know, when it, 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 Jack has a choice, it's not exactly a Sophie's choice. He, he's going to pick one company. One of the reasons, and this will get into the idea of Web3, if you want to cover that. Oh, Lord, <laughs> later we are. Too. We're going to talk about yeah. it because we can't not. So, but So why is Zuck at, uh, doing uh, Meta? And the rebrand, right? Because all of the energy seems to be in crypto and NFTs and Web3. That's where the talent is going. People are, you know, fleeing, not fleeing, but jumping ship to these Web3 companies. And and all the kids have bored ape uh, icons on their, their Twitter accounts and things like that. So one way to look at it is is Jack sees more fun and maybe what Jack was always into, which is sort of like utopian style changing the world stuff, which he can do with Square that he can't do with Twitter, where it's essentially a maintenance job. It's putting out fires. I should point out that Bitcoin has gone down like $10,000 since uh, he, he, he quit. 
related? No. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but let's talk about Twitter. But I like to stir the pot a little bit. Okay, yeah, go no, ahead. We, we're just actually going to get away. to Block. I really do want to talk about that and Web3. But let's stay with Twitter for a little bit longer. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah. The, the crypto flash crash is a lot of fun. I mean, we'll talk about that because nothing makes me giggle more than watching everyone who brags about crypto prices all of a sudden go silent yeah. as a unit. No, they'll be uh, back. No, Don't but, worry. Yeah. Oh, they always are. Uh, uh, data point, though, about Twitter. We're talking about Twitter as if it is this kind of failed entity. And I do agree, in comparison to Facebook or Meta, depending on how you want to call it, it is small. But in the last quarter, Twitter had uh, $1.28 billion in revenue, up 37% year over year. How much For profit? For a mature business, um, they had adjusted operating profit of like $23 million, I think. Okay. I mean, it's That's not, fine. you know. And they have that weird metric that's uh, monetizable users or something, but they're growing that yeah. metric, which is the one that they want people to care about, right? Yes, yeah. MDAUs, which is the most non-GAAP way of saying people use our site and we sell them stuff. Um, I don't know why they had to invent that. but Well, we they did because the growth is uh, stagnant. So they had to make up some other number that didn't reflect growth. Real growth, <laughs> right? Okay, look, Leo. Let's tweet more. Let's let's help them out. You know, let's let's get a no, couple more. No, it's not that we're there. not tweeting enough. It's that it's the same three hundred million people tweeting. Yeah, it's there's yeah, no they, growth in their uh, in their user base. I, I think the problem with their business is that we're all we're all somehow for some reason gotten all wrapped up in in the all importance of massive profits. Um, why do we care? As long as they have enough money to survive, yeah. I think the thing that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, you're right. If you don't own Twitter how, stock, why do you care? Exactly. Exactly. Right. Their, their yeah. cultural well, significance is yeah. gigantic. It's that's huge, right. Arguably bigger than Facebook. But that's and, the problem: is you have this huge cultural significance and 24 million dollars in revenue. Yeah, Profit. I'm happy with that. Profit. I'm happy with that. What's what's Profit. wrong with that? Um, it feels like that should be bigger. If you're that important, it should be big. All right, Leo. They, keep the, that's only four the, million. So what? Eight million dollars a month? It's nothing. What is the? Uh, what, I mean, mean, like, I mean, it's, it's more profitable than Twit. It's more profitable than Yahoo. Okay, they make more in a month than we make in a year, but it's still for <laughs> something. That's Twitter. We're talking here. What's I, Facebook's profit? Of a, it's infinite. Infinite. It's so big. But Mike. Mike said at the outset that Jack is very thoughtful. Right. And the problem is, is that from Wall Street's perspective, he was thoughtful to the point of being unable to make unable to make any decisions. It's only in the last year that, you know, this sudden I remember when it happened on, on my show, we kept saying, oh, hell froze over again. Twitter actually iterated on product. But now that joke is 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 is, is way dead because they've done nothing but this product over this, the last six months. This six months has been an amazing, you know, unprecedented mm -hmm. for Twitter. But there are those who say Twitter doesn't need to iterate on product. Right. In fact, the best thing Twitter could do is just stay Twitter. Right. So there's a big risk. There's a big risk for Twitter when they change things because it's working as it is. I know it's not profitable. Actually, Ben Thompson has a great piece on this in which he said Twitter can't be profitable with an ad model because of the nature of Twitter. He says yeah. Instagram for he compares it to Instagram. Instagram does very well with the ad model because it's a it's a sit back uh, engagement. You're sitting there, you're leisurely, you're looking at photos. You get a photo for you know a new kind of underwear. It's not such a big deal to buy it. Twitter, he says, quoting Ben Thompson in Stratechery, is intense and combative and far more likely to be tied to something happening in the physical world, whether that be watching sports or politics or doing work. And that does not lend itself well to 
oh, in the middle of all this, let me click and buy some underwear. So yeah. Twitter, they said, he says, and I think he, I don't think he's wrong. Twitter's not going to make money, especially with the kind of direct response advertising that they're doing. It may be brand advertising, but at least not click to buy advertising. Uh, the, and then he says the, that's one problem. The other, another problem is the number of people who actually want to experience the internet this way in this intense lean forward thing is relatively small. Uh, people know about Twitter, but pe people don't, you know, go, oh, I got to get on there except us. You know, there's a, there's a group of people that do. So his suggestion is there are, there is a group of people, a few hundred million people that certainly value Twitter, often professionally, politicians, uh, sports stars, tech journalists, those people will pay. He says Twitter should just make it a pay, be a pay service, period. Is that crazy? Um, uh, well, it's, it's, uh, it goes back to what I was saying before, which is that it would essentially, to me, involve ruining tr Twitter for the benefit of the minority who make money from t Twitter. It, it's basically saying that the monetary significance for the shareholders is more important than the cultural significance for everybody. So even the people who don't use Twitter benefit enormously from journalists talking to politicians, hearing from these other people, interacting with each other, with professors. All, it's a it's a the town square isn't just for the people at the town square meeting. It's well, what for if you had to pay to town. post but not pay to read? Uh yeah, that would be better. I guess in a way, I that's just, really what Twitter Blue is. It's going to capture those people, yeah. probably. Yeah. Right? Three bucks a month. Yeah. It's it's yeah, going to capture those people. Leo, multiply it by five, charge me 15, and take away the advertisements. Yeah, that's there you go. what yeah. I would prefer. Yeah. So like, just yeah. admit the fact it's not going to be a billion people. Realize that those of us who use it, use it a lot. Realize that those of us who use it a lot don't want ads in our iOS feed. And let me pay you to get rid of them. Can the let people, me do it, please. Can the... There's nowhere else the people who use it can go, right? There's a certain use for right. Twitter. For instance, if 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 somebody tells me, uh, "Oh, Bob Dole just passed away," first thing I'm going to do is go to Twitter, right? Right. Because maybe right. not Bob Dole, but if it were a famous person, uh, yeah. I would go to. Uh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> Bob Dole was too famous soon, too soon. If I were a comedian that did in Bob Dole impressions. I probably would have stopped doing them long ago. Let's put it that Nobody way. Nobody under the age of 30 knows who Bob Dole exactly. is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So 40, Mike, I think. And I, I think. only use that because he did pass away But today. But uh, I don't know. What if Paul McCartney passed away? If somebody told me Paul McCartney's dead, I would immediately go to Twitter to verify it. So yes. there's so there certain things you do, you know. Uh, earthquakes. We, earthquakes. <laughs> yeah. In the California, it's all about earthquakes. If you're a big F1 fan, we won't say no spoilers because Alex hasn't Thank watched you. the race yet. But you would, and that's, by the way, to Ben Thomas's point, you would actually have it open while you're watching. And you'd have a community around you, same thing with the Oscars or any, any other live event, talking about it. Yeah. Those are the people who, and I think those people would be willing to pay, I don't know, 15 bucks, that's a lot. But say seven bucks, eight bucks a month, nine bucks. Mike, what, Mike one more thing that you said um, was that, you know, Twitter would benefit from a billionaire sort of. Uh, a Jeff benefit. Bezos. Yeah. yeah, well, but guess what? Uh, we had a billionaire sort of benevolently overseeing it for us. There's a piece that um, Mike Solana, another Mike, wrote this week about Jack. And he ended like this um, saying, I think we're all about to realize just how much he was doing quietly in stewardship over a power he was wise enough to fear 
and good enough not to use. So that's the flip side of Jack being overly thoughtful. Perhaps Mm -hmm. we're going to find out pretty quickly that for the last six years, we had a really useful guy overseeing Twitter and not it up too badly. That's how I feel. Exactly. Why did he announce it day of? Isn't it more typical that you would say, as Bezos did, I'm going to step down? I have a theory. Okay. I have a theory. Uh, And it involves uh, Block and Square, which is the Block Square announcement happened I think it was the 12-year anniversary of Square's first, um, I don't know, public trial or a public beta being launched or something. So he needed to get the Twitter news out of the way so that he could launch the Square block news that was probably really where his heart was at anyway. So almost immediately after resigning, he announced that he, uh, Square announced it was going to change its name to Block. By the way, why is that a big announcement? It's just a well, name it's change. To be a, it's like well, changing the name of. to Meta. Yeah, but it's different though, Leo. Because remember when Square bought Title, and we were all sitting around going like, "Well, what? Why is a consumer payment you know, service and a business transaction application buying when, music?" When service? this news broke, I, I was on Twig and I mentioned Square bought Title, and everybody went, "Really? <laughs> no, exactly. Nobody remembers that." Exactly. But my point is, uh, as a holding company that may make digital products via the blockchain for artists and musicians, it makes a lot more uh, sense for Block, the holding company, to own Titan. Yeah, because you know who so, makes money on NFTs? The people who mint them. Yep. Not the creators, not the buyers, the people who mint them for 12 bucks a pop. They're the ones making money. Mm-hmm. You think that's what Square wants to do? That kind of thing? I mean, it makes more sense than it did before. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't think that we fully understand where Jack wants to go with Block. Um, but on the point about him leaving, though, one last little little note. If you go read the letter he posted on Twitter, he talks a lot about how uh, a company shouldn't always be run by its founder. And he talks a little bit he about does mention ego. That. Yeah. Yeah. And inside of Silicon Valley, that was heresy because the Mark Zuckerberg Facebook story was an early data point that led people to think that maybe startup founders should not only stay CEO of their company through their public private life, but also into their public life. And here was Jack taking jobs you know, also. Yeah. Well, I, uh, uh, Jack, yeah, okay, I'll take that. Jack yeah. writes, there's a lot of talk. This is in his tweet. There's a lot of talk, by the way, I think it's ironic that Jack Dorsey can't find a way to resign in 280 characters. So he does what everybody else does and posts a picture of his resignation. Jack, hint, hint. There's a lot of talk about the importance of a company being, quote, founder led. Ultimately, I believe that's severely limiting and a single point of failure. I've worked hard to ensure this company could break away from its founding and uh, founders, uh, there aren't many companies that get to this level and there aren't many founders that choose their company over their own ego. That's an interesting Oof. shot. Who's he thinking? Spicy. Spicy. Mark. All it's of Mark. them. Mark. And, well, it's, it's Mark and it's also Leo Laporte. <laughs> I, I want to announce my resignation today, but I'm going to keep doing the show if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I long ago gave up the reins running the company. So maybe that, you know, by the way, a couple of interesting, uh, let's talk a little bit about his successor. He also, uh, chose as chairman of the board. He's going to resign from the board as well in a few months. Chairman of the board is Brett Taylor, who is really one of the great people in Silicon Valley. I think former Google engineer. He was at maps. He was at Gmail started friend feed. Oh yeah. Uh, 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 not just a create, I mean, a real creator, and founder, 
and I think an interesting person to put on the uh, at the chairman of the board. And let's talk about him, and let's talk about uh, Agrawal. Good choice. Good choices. Thoughts. I was I was surprised. I was surprised that it was not Kayvon who has been, uh, you know, sort of the product head leading things. I think Kayvon was surprised actually. (laughs) I've heard some heard some things, Um, but when you he did not quit. By the way, did not no. No. Um, When you do, you know, find out because that's that's one of the things is that. Agarwal was not very well known, even to those of us that follow this stuff all the time, because he didn't have a very big profile. But when you read the details, he has been involved in basically every major important sort of iteration at Twitter for the last few years. When Jack decides, hey, we're going in on the blockchain and Bitcoin, um, Agarwal was the one that was that headed up that team the last few years as CTO when they're we're doing things like launching spaces and and Twitter blue and all that stuff, you know, he's, he's the CTO that's in charge of all that stuff. So it does make sense. But then also, I think there was a lot of speculation and maybe this was more from wall street types that, that were like, well, what Twitter does need to do is maybe hire somebody from outside that would never use Twitter. You know what? Like, like, you know, this didn't work out necessarily for Yahoo, but remember when Yahoo brought in that Hollywood guy to like save it after the dot-com burst or something like that. I feel like a lot of people thought that was going to happen too. Um, But if what you want is Twitter to continue firing on all the cylinders it's been firing on, I think uh, Agrawal is a decent pick. Yeah. I'm not sure. I agree with you, Mike, that Agrawal is technical but that's not where where the problems lie with Twitter. You need, I think, a guy with vision and strategy, don't you? It seems to me that he's a product guy and not a policy guy. Yeah. And I would prefer personally to have Twitter be run by a policy person, somebody who really understands the all of the nuances. And maybe he does. I, I don't know. Well, you know, time will tell. But somebody who really has a passion for figuring out this the the the, the biggest problem, which is. Uh, fake accounts, bots, trolls, harassment, um, how to allow free speech, but not hate speech. So many problems. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where Twitter, I think that's where Twitter is going to succeed or fail for its most passionate users. It's not like, how does the data center work? How many more, how many more products can they throw into the mix? I I personally, I mean, other than, um, you know, other than, uh, well, actually, I can't think of any recent addition that they've made that's really changed the way I use Twitter. I use it exactly the same as I did two, three years ago, and I'm a really active user. I just don't think all these new products, which may help in monetization and so on, are really what Twitter really are the things that make Twitter better. I think Twitter- what would make Twitter better is if they would get rid of all of those hundreds of thousands of fake bot driven, you know, figure out, figure out that problem. I feel like Twitter has solved most of those problems. <clears throat> I really do. I mean, I yeah, I guess there's still a lot of bots on Twitter. That might be one reason they don't count active users, but monetizable <laughs> users instead. You can't monetize a bot. Uh, but I don't think that that's really a problem because the way most people use Twitter, they follow certain people. And I mean, those- two days ago, they just, or three days ago, they just removed... Uh- 3,500. Yeah, they're going to keep doing that. Accounts. Yeah, they're going to yeah. keep doing that. I don't think yeah. that's a huge problem. I think that they've saw that they've made themselves culturally important. They've well, done a I good think, job. They I think did that, just announce another policy, actually, probably 
something Jack had been working on, but it was announced under yeah. Agrawal that they're going to, and I think this is a big step, they're going to uh, prohibit the posting of media of private individuals, not not celebrities, right. without the permission of the per- people depicted. That's a right. big step this, towards getting rid of harassment. And I felt that the way that they rolled it out was a huge blunder. Um, yes. Why one, was that? One point, and then, uh, and then I'll get to that Okay, one. go ahead. The, the point is that in the U.S., everything is better on Facebook and Twitter. The, the attention given to these issues is way better in the U.S. But oh. in the other 200 and something countries, uh, depending how small the country is, um, uh, sites like Twitter, Facebook, also WhatsApp and these other uh, communications media are just having huge problems okay. with fake news, causing riots. Yeah, see, I'm not uh, aware of that. Yeah, so so I, I think that, you know, that that's another issue. But back to the, the rollout of this policy, the way they um, stated it, and this happened immediately after the new CEO took, took charge, it was like, Oh, you, you know, it's like you can't, you know, we're banning the, you know, the, the posting of private individuals. Well, that's ridiculous. That is just ridiculous. Most pictures have people in the background. They're not actually banning it. What they're, do, what they're actually doing is they're saying, okay, if someone complains, that's me in that picture and I don't want myself, that's, my pri- that, that's me in a private situation, they'll consider it. That's really what they're talking yes. about. And that's and, fair. And, I mean, yeah, you don't want to just, you can't automatically do it. You have to wait till there's a complaint. They do say that they're not going to remove stuff uh, where the accompanying tweet text is shared in the public interest or adds value to public discourse, even if it yeah. is a private individual. That would allow Except, things like the George Floyd video to get through, yes. even though he's not a celebrity. Uh, the police officers could perhaps say uh, that I'm a private individual. I don't want that image posted. Except um, but, it's already been sort of weaponized by trolls where if, Leo, you posted a picture of me, it's sort of like a, a takedown request. Oh, for, you could request. They could request YouTube, on your right. behalf. Exactly. Uh, so if, if I wanted to screw your account and you posted a picture of me on your uh, Twitter account, all I have to do is file the complaint. They And then like on YouTube with the DCMA or whatever takedown DMCA, request, yeah, yeah. then it's on you to spend the next few weeks fighting to get your account back. It's not on me because all I had to do was rat you out. Well, the white supremacists are already all over this and they're actually organizing around this idea that, you know, one of the, there were a whole bunch of anti um, white supremacy, anti racist organizations who, uh, who show, you know, people waving swastikas and all that kind of stuff. And shame them, and that's part of what they do in in their work. They, as, but as Twitter a, has preserved their capability of moderating that and saying, yes. no, no, that's public discourse. So exactly. they're giving, they've given themselves an out. After after removing those accounts and then putting them back. Well, that depends. And, Have uh, we seen that they're immediately taking them down? I mean, is there an instant? I believe, I believe some were actually uh, taken down. Okay, so there is uh, an instant takedown. That. That's perhaps something they want to change. This is yeah. the reporting form on Twitter. And you can you can say the information belongs to me, someone I'm authorized to represent, or someone else. Uh, I guess if uh, if I said me, I would have to provide my own Twitter information, and I would have to sign it. And by the way, they they say electronically sign this notice by typing your full name, so that perhaps has some legal power. I think they're trying. Look at they're they're obviously going to oh, try yeah, to do trying. this right. Um, I'm just my complaint is easily gamed. That's not good, obviously. As a writer and an editor, why can't Twitter write a clear tweet or a clear policy? I have a it was the tweet. I have a policy, a problem with it. It caused an entire 
cause, you know, millions of people an entire day arguing about what it means and uh, freaking out and all this kind of stuff when they could have just written a, a, a they could have written an unambiguous tweet. And I, right. Yeah. I'm, complaining about I, I'm willing to give the new CEO a little bit more time to get their feet underneath them. I don't expect them to be perfect from day one. I, I think everything that Mike is talking about is totally fair and valid, but I, I just want to let him breathe for a couple of weeks and see how this rolls yes. out. Uh, if yes. this happens again, gosh, um, but I don't think Jack made a mistake in picking, or I don't think he made a um, a quick choice in this decision. And also, like, no. keep in mind, we have all said how we like Twitter's product choices in the last, you know, six, 12 months. Well, Brett Taylor was on the board that entire time, and now he's chairman of the board, right. so or right. will be. So there's going to be some continuity of leadership there from the recent era. So maybe that'll help see them through some of the more sticky questions and product choices. I hope so, at least, as a Twitter fanboy. The uh, best headline came from The Onion. Self-important a-hole making big show about leaving Twitter. <laughs> Who hasn't? Who hasn't? I didn't see that. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Can we right. talk about Jack's beard and how it needs to go? Because Jack is a handsome boy, and he's wearing this, like, ZZ top beard. And it's, it's just, it's only good when he's in front of Congress. Otherwise, just kind of on acid. it was fantastic when he was testifying for Congress. It was yes, like, so good. it just did not. One of these things is not like the other. Uh, let's take a little break because I do. I mean, the next thing, let's talk about block. Let's talk about uh, Web 3, whatever the hell that is. I think I have a pretty good crew here to explain that to me. Um, we will get back to a very good panel. Alex Wilhelm of TechCrunch fame. Uh, great to have you from the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast mr brian mccullough and uh, my good buddy uh, mike elgin from gastronomad.net and elgin.com uh, going back to on his way back to oaxaca and then what's the next gastronomad prosecco uh yes prosecco and we are going to have a big one it's going to be a celebration of a complete return to normality yeah good luck <laughs> uh, good luck willing. uh yeah yeah, uh, but yeah. but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Prosecco and then Provence. I was so we're back. To I Europe. was very nervous because I hadn't traveled internationally since COVID started. Yeah. But it, you know what? It was it worked out really well. We all got tested before we left. Everybody was was uh, negative, which is positive. Yep. And we, uh, it was very positive that we were negative. And we took another <laughs> test before we left, and that was a very positive negative experience. <laughs> so, and you know, as you saw, as you saw, Leo, um, you can tell that Oaxaca is a great place oh, during a great. pandemic. Yeah, there's a lot of Everybody's open space. Careful. Yeah, restaurants are outside. Yeah. Everybody wears a mask. Yeah, it's, every it's restaurant has an has outdoor seating. It yeah. was really great. Fantastic. Our show today brought to you by Ignite. We're really thrilled to have Ignite on the uh, network. All over the world, these days, you know, companies hit by ransomware attacks. Their digital files are held hostage. They have to decide, do we pay these crooks to get them back? That's just got to stink, you know, to have to say, oh, I'm going to have to pay these guys. <clears throat> on average, even if you do pay them, it takes 23 days to recover so no matter what, that's 23 days of disruption, of downtime, of chaos. <clears throat> and that could be a problem. City of Atlanta, remember, was shut down for five days. The whole city shut down for five days in 2018. Ransomware can come for any company in any industry. But small to medium-sized businesses, we get hurt the worst. We have fewer cyber defenses. Ransomware has more ways to sneak through. And frankly, it can put us out of business with smaller teams Small companies usually slower to recover. And, of course, for those companies in particular, the downtime and reputational damage can be devastating. 
Ignite, E-G-N-Y-T-E, is the first ever file system. This is so clever. The first ever file system with sophisticated ransomware detection and recovery tools fully built in. It lets your teams create and share documents in Microsoft 365 or Google Docs or Slack or Salesforce or DocuSign and countless others, still keeping your company's data safe. And, you know, I know one of the reasons people aren't secure is because most security software has a terrible user experience. Not true with Ignite. It's a team. It's a tool your team will actually love using. And because ransomware detection and mitigation run in the background, you don't even have to think about it. You'll, you'll work without disruption. It's just efficient in the background and it's getting the job done. Behind the scenes, Ignite gives companies with limited IT and security staff the power of much larger teams. You're going to get total visibility. You'll know exactly where your key documents are. And this is very important. You'll know who has access. And I love this. It can automatically detect more than 2,000 ransomware variants. It'll flag unusual behavior as well. It's completely turnkey. You don't have any on-site hardware or software. You shut down compromised accounts, quickly identify and restore encrypted files, all from a single cloud-based platform. And forget 23 days to get back to work. Recovery is almost instant. If ransomware does sneak through, you can restore your files fast. You'll be back up and running in hours without having to pay one penny to those schmucks. Ransomware attacks are inevitable. They're going to happen, but losing your valuable data is not. The right preparation is everything. With Ignite, you won't need a specialized security ops team to keep up. The system is always learning, always adapting to new threats. Your team does business as they always have, and you can rest easy. I love this solution. Learn more about how Ignite E-G-N-Y-T-E can protect your business from ransomware. See why they're rated number one for data security by real customers in G2 Crowd. And best of all, you can get a free trial right now at Ignite.com. E-G-N-Y-T-E, Ignite.com. Start your free trial today. Ignite, mission control for critical content. I just think this is so smart. E-G-N-Y-T-E dot com. Speaking of smart, I am not smart enough to know what the hell they're talking about with Web 3. Not, by the way, not Web 3.0. No space. Very important that you do this right. I bet you Alex Wilhelm can explain what the hell Web 3 is. I, I, I'm going to show you this headline. <laughs> Actually, this tweet from Elon Musk. Web 3 sounds like BS, tweets Elon Musk. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. So, Leo, thank you for putting me in the hot seat on this one, because that way I'll get all the tweets and uh, and not you. <laughs> Better you than me, buddy. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Web3 is a rebrand of blockchain, oh. which was a rebrand of crypto. Oh. I think it's the simplest way to put it. Oh. It's broadening each time, because cryptocurrencies were originally just, you know, Bitcoin and Litecoin back in the early days. And then we talked more about blockchain, thinking about uh, the, the broader crypto economy in, you know, in, in a larger sense. What else can we build with blockchain technology? Web3 encompasses NFTs and um, kind of like the games you can play on the Ethereum chain and so forth. And so I, I think it's, it's a broader term, but it is mostly the same stuff. Uh, but I will say there was a shift overnight. Sometime a few months ago, Web3 became the thing to say. And I don't know quite what changed, but all of a sudden it became how will people use to describe the larger world of, of, you know, Bitcoin at all. So if you want to sound cool, say Web3. And by cool, I mean not cool. 
<laughs> to me, it sounds like a rebranding of the original vision of the internet, which is no borders, right. no controls. Everybody just does everything uh, that they want, and there's no governments can that interfere. worked out so well. Yeah, and then that didn't happen. It was you know, argue you know the the, the internet was largely taken over by giant corporations. And so this is an attempt to get back to that original vision. Nobody's, nobody characterizes it like that, but it's clearly that's what it is. Taking the, a, the basket of hot new technologies like blockchain, NFTs, and lumping in meta, if you will, uh, the, uh, lumping in the, the metaverse, et cetera. Don't forget and the metaverse. You get, you get this new world, which is the original vision of the internet. Yeah, but, I think it, but Mike, it, it, it claims to be so punk rock, right? What you just said is so dead on. It claims to be this, this open, freewheeling place. And yet it seems that the same people who made a bunch of money on internets one and two are making all the money in web three. So to me, like, are they just failing to live up to that kind of punk ethos you're describing? Or, is, or am I misreading where things are today technologically? I just, I just think that's uh, there's a, a techno- technology type people are into that sort of thing. Is that... Is that- Somebody at your door. <laughs> that's 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 my Alex. Uh, that's <laughs> sorry about that. She really wants in. <laughs> Are you in her playroom? Are you? Uh, I'm sort of. Yes. <laughs> You've taken over your 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 granddaughter's playroom, and now she wants in. She's pounding on the door, much as many people want to get into Web three point. It's not three point by the way. W e b three. Let's yes. get that right. Okay, yes. I've, I've heard people in the right. media call it Web 3.0 because it was Web 2.0. But no, 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 that would just be a successor to Web 2.0. This is nothing like Web 2.0. This is Web 3. Except for the fact, Leo, that it's literally all the same stuff from Web 2.0 <laughs> on the blockchain. It's games, it's social, it's, it's you know, like different interest groups am getting I, around different cultural memes. Am I uh, old, out of touch, or dumb to th- every time I hear the word blockchain think watch out watch your wallet this sounds a little bit like a pyramid scheme to me uh, leo if, have you heard of axie infinity no chance no what's that okay well there's a lot of these these pay to earn games or sorry play to earn so like you kind of play them and then you earn tokens that are then have some sort of monetary value and that always strikes me as slightly skeevy and then also there's a lot of ways to like essentially loan your is this like crypto assets. cats it's uh, kind kind of. It's, like, it's, it's closer, it's, Alex. Isn't it closer to like essentially um, uh, Pokemon kind of like? But, don't you? But you, you, you can like make money. Yeah. characters and you fight them or something, but then you earn money. Yeah, by doing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, but where does all the money come from? Because usually, in my experience as a longtime gamer, I pay money. <laughs> right, and then I play. Versus, I play and then I get paid. That sounds like work, and yet it's a game. And so, to Leo's point about just having a general sense of unease. That's how I feel, because as far as I'm concerned, there is no never-ending font of capital. There is no way to make money for free forever. So from whence does it come? Is but no, but there is, because, uh, you know, I mean, people always get mad at the Federal Reserve for creating more money. But there's nothing to stop us from creating more cryptocurrency. Leo, you might feel more skeevy about... Uh, Axie Infinity specifically when you find out that the majority of the players are in the Philippines and that what happens is rich Westerners hire oh, uh, to grind to grind to, for them. Right. Yeah. And now there's they're making more than they would at a in meat space job. 
Uh, but uh, apparently like 90% of the active players are in the Philippines right now, even though a lot of that money is flowing to uh, bigger wallets elsewhere. So I'm just setting up my <laughs> Axie account and I have to get a Ronin wallet and I have yes. to deposit Ethereum or Ether into my Ronin wallet. So I am paying to play, yes? And don't forget that's going to cost you several hundred dollars in gas fees. Gas fees. Transfer to your wallet. I never heard the phrase gas fees until Constitution DAO. Uh, (laughs) It's pronounced DAO, Leo. I've been saying DAO, and then I thought, oh, I should probably say DAO since it is an acronym. Also, no one says Ether. Everyone says ETH. I know. Yes, it's ETH, Web3, no space, and DAO. Ba- so you're saying I'm basically <laughs> marking myself uh, as a future sucker. and that Yes, you are marking yourself as a mark. I'm, an, I'm a mark. I'm wearing the sucker hat. When we were in uh, Mexico many years ago on the beach in Puerto Escondido in beautiful Oaxaca, uh, vendors came down uh, selling hats, one of which was made from palm leaves. It was a very cute hat. And um, my ex at the time, uh, my wife bought it. Jennifer bought it. And I said, Jennifer, you just bought the sucker hat. Now, everybody coming down the beach is going to make a beeline to you because you just gave somebody $10 for some palm fronds. So you're saying to me that I'm wearing the sucker hat when I say Constitution DAO or Ether. I'm, yes, but I'm, the good news is, Leo, you don't have a lot of your personal net worth in crypto assets. I have none. So I think you're probably... Wait a minute. I do have go. that wallet with 7.85 Bitcoin, but thank God I can't get into it. Alex, <laughs> Alex, wait till he finds out that good morning is a very, very loaded acronym. Good oh morning? Gosh. GM, GM, baby. GM. Yep. I say GM, you say GM back because apparently the crypto meme world and culture is rooted in middle school terror. <laughs> Wait a minute, what does it mean? Good morning. good morning. But if you're it's in the also, crypto, no, you say GM back. It's it's this like weird shibboleth. Oh, it's a handshake. Reads. It's a secret handshake. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we're, all, we're all going to make it or we're not going to make it. There's there's a wag me. Now, but, yes. Right, right, right. Let, let me, to give them their credit, one <laughs> of the things that you have to say about the Web3 crowd is that now they're all very eager and excited. But generally, they're very optimistic and friendly. So, you know, their secret handshake is literally good morning. Good morning. And we're all going to make it. Good morning. It's what Tim Cook says at the beginning of every Apple event. Good morning. Uh, But if you want to say you're in the know, you say GM. 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 Which I presume comes from texting, right? R-O-T-F-L-W-U-T, right? It's... Uh, maybe I, I I don't know I actually I don't I don't think that's right um, but I, I do think Brian's point is great though because no one is having more fun than the crypto kids they're having like fun. I, yeah I, I mean they're having an absolute blast like do I want not to this spend, week yeah not this week not, not this, this weekend because week. yeah. of the sell off but like I'm never going to spend ten thousand dollars on an NFT because I don't want to purchase the digital signature to a particular image on one blockchain doesn't really drive. My buttons, but they're having an absolute blast. They're minting somebody in the chat room, making rooms. Stoic and, yeah. Squirrel says you have to be optimistic. They think you're going to make money on this stuff, right? You have to be <laughs> bullish. There's no bears in the in the crypto world. Well, I, I've well, can you short sell? That. Can you short sell crypto? Probably, but I've written mean things about Bitcoin off and on for since 2013. And how's that worked I've out gotten, for you? 
poorly. People have been cross for a very long time with me. Um, but all my money is in index funds. So but it's this fine. is the problem, by the way, with any pyramid scheme or any any other scam is the most threatening people are the people who don't believe it. You want to, you know, you got to beat them down because it's all based on this optimism. We're going to get rich uh, philosophy. And anybody who doesn't is, yeah. you know, is peeing in your chowder. Alex, yeah. uh, you would know this better than me because you cover uh, the VC space closer than I do. But my theory is that, and this is going to be something that's Leo won't know about also, but um, I think you said- This show is full how, of that, by the way. Go ahead. How, <laughs> why, why two months ago did Web3 suddenly become the thing? And my theory is that, that it's literally Chris Dixon, it's literally Andreessen Horowitz, it's literally VCs yeah. um, decided en masse to brand it this way. And my motivating theory for that is they made so much money from Solana that all of a sudden, especially Andreessen, but a lot of the VCs are like, we need more Solanas. <laughs> so let me explain a couple of things about what Brian just said, because I think it's pretty good. So first of all, <clears throat> Chris Dixon and Mark Andreessen have both blocked me on Twitter. I just, I don't know why that matters, but I wanted to bring it up. I just want to say, context. I am so way ahead of you. In 1993, <laughs> on MSNBC, I told the world when uh, Microsoft announced Internet Explorer 3.0, it's all over for Mozilla. It's all over for Netscape. They're charging for a browser Microsoft's giving away. And Mark Andreessen apparently at that point f began a long-standing hatred of me because I told the truth, by the way. I was absolutely right. Uh, yeah. I was told later he came screaming down the halls at Netscape saying, Who is this Leo Laporte? <laughs> Who is this? That's all. <laughs> well, so, Leo, I've always welcome. liked Join you. Join the club. Join the club, yeah. Alex. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always liked you, Leo, and, and Mark's never liked us, and that's fine. Um, but <laughs> what I'll say is the Solana example that Brian brings up is actually a great point because Solana is a, is a blockchain. It has some similarities to the Ethereum blockchain. It is better in some technological ways. It is cheaper to execute transactions. So they're often faster. And so as a piece of technology, frankly, it's kind of cool. It shows the evolution of blockchains from Bitcoin to Ether Ethereum to, I would say, Solana and some other ones today, like maybe Polkadot. I don't know. There's, there's a couple of options out there. But I think if you look at the initial token distribution of Solana, and I'm pulling back to my memory here, so if I get this a little bit wrong, don't jump on me. Um, I think a lot of the early backers got a bunch of early tokens and that I've appreciated very, very well. And so the people that invested in it, I think was Andreessen Horowitz uh, or maybe their crypto fund made out like bandits. And so my, that was my point earlier about the same people that already have money making the bulk of the money in, in the crypto space. And that's why I'm not that interested in it. It's not bringing economic prosperity to poor people, right? So you could actually argue it might even be doing the opposite. It's uh, I mean, it's not good for the environment. Uh, it's, it's not good for cybersecurity. It's, uh, you know, uh, Bitcoin is is the main is one of the things that makes ransomware, ransomware. Uh, yeah. work the way it does. Um, my well, first, I have a comment about Alex's watch. I've never seen anybody wear the watch on their hand. Let me see, Alex. What are you doing? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, never seen sorry. that. Um, so basically, everyone, <laughs> if you're not watching the video, I'm wearing my Apple watch around. Do my you have palm. a boo boo on your hand that you're covering up? I, I do not have a I do not have a boo boo, nor do I have an, a, a cut. Um, I'm just kind of a, a twitchy boy, and oh, so I, I play with there. my watch yeah. when I'm sitting around. Yeah, and if I 
Yeah, I, it's not. He's, he's a wrist Sorry. model, and he has to protect just his protect wrist. Protect the wrist at all yeah. costs. Yes, I just like to call out any sort of innovation I see, no matter what it is. They, <laughs> but, but in terms of uh, cryptocurrency, the thing that bothers me is when I, whenever I say something that's vaguely uh, negative about about any of this stuff, I get uh, the the argument is that oh no, this is a great currency. It's for purchasing things. And it's really not used that way, is it? I mean, it's no, you'd be nuts it, to hoping that value will go up. The people who buy things with it, it regret it deeply, like the guy who bought the what is it, the hundred thousand dollar pizza? Exactly. Oh, exactly. But the thing that, and I'm probably wrong about this, and I'm probably I probably be proved wrong over time because I I don't I don't look at it that carefully. But it seems to me that this is a place where you can invest money and then make money without really contributing to society yeah it's pure speculation employing anyone yeah. without making anything yeah. it's so it, the whole thing kind of bothers me but i'm probably just bulbs. About it. i don't think so i think that's exactly what it is and i think a lot of the enthusiasm is for coming from people who speculated successfully and it was with yeah. any pyramid scheme you've got to pull in new people because you know that's what keeps it going. That's, that's where the growth it, comes from. That's what keeps it floating. To, to bring it back real quick to the original question of what web three is and alex help me out here because i feel like maybe we're the closest the difference so so mike is talking about oh currencies and things like that the way i understand it is web3 is moving is moving crypto beyond just the idea satoshi's original idea of something that can replace money to essentially being the promise that's always been there for for utopian folks of a global computer where it's not just money that is digitized it's contracts it's gaming it's all of these things it's moving towards the metaverse where yeah. your nft is going to be your 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 image that you present to the world when you're in the metaverse and things like that and so it it i i think web3 the the people that are proponents of web3 think that this is the next evolution beyond just oh what's this new coin it's what's this new thing that allows computing to happen natively on the internet yeah, and, and the question this cuts at, and this is why it's interesting, even if you're not a, a active speculator in current crypto coins, is is the internet and the future of technology better distributed and therefore slower, more expensive, but more censorship resistant, or centralized a la AWS, Azure, and the other major cloud platforms, or DocuSign for contracts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My, my question is, the, the decentralized world can only really kick the butt of the centralized world if it can provide what large companies need. And if you've ever talked to a company like Ignite, who was in the ad, I, I know that company for a thousand years. I know the CEO for a while too. They have to build stuff like single sign-on and you know provide uptime guarantees to their customers to get them to use their service. Blockchain and DAOs are, 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 haven't gotten close to kind of that level I of I believe of they're called DAOs. I've learned that now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> This is why this is why I shouldn't come on Twix. I was clown on myself by accident. Um, so I, look, I think the central technology of uh, blockchain is actually really interesting. The idea that it's decentralized, that it's secure, that no one, you know, the financial system as as currently constituted is centralized in banks, uh, you know, national banks. <laughs> Central banks. Immutable ledger so that in theory it can't be it messed with. can't be messed with. Uh, there is a privacy component, although, you know, that can vary depending on how it's implemented. I, I, I think that's all very positive. I'm not sure why the web needs to be running on, uh, on, on blockchain. I don't understand the benefit of that exactly. But, you know, I, you know, it's interesting. How's it going in El Salvador? 
That mm. sounds like a real oh. non sequitur, but of course El Salvador is I, I, now using block, Bitcoin. Block, they must be really happy this weekend <laughs> using uh, uh, Bitcoin as their currency, their national currency. They must be so you thrilled, know, I, right? I've seen all the stories, but I've never seen stories about actual ordinary Salvadorans. It sounds using like it hi- benefiting. This from is it. hyperinflation. This is what happened in the Weimar Republic. Yeah. I have. Uh, oh, I'm so excited. I've taken all my dollars because they used to be on the dollar system, U.S. dollars. So I had $100,000. I uh, put it in the bank, converted it to Bitcoin. Uh, I got one and a half Bitcoins for it. And now they're worth $20,000. There is nothing to celebrate. But it's secure and decentralized. Yeah. I, so I mean, money, also, it's I mean, bad for money. Let's just say it, that's a different, you know, and that's another argument if you want to replace government-run fiat currencies with uh, some sort of mathematical equation-run fiat currencies. That's uh, that's a different conversation. But the underlying technology, blockchain, That's I think that's kind of interesting, yeah? I mean, I could see some uses for it. Fundamentally, I agree with you. And this is why I'm, I'm never going to be fully dismissive of it, though I will be critical of certain actions, certain coins, certain projects, whatever. But like fundamentally technology has been driven by optimism and people being willing to tear up the prior rule sheet and start again. And maybe it'll eventually become true that the promise of Web3 or call it what you will, will bear out. But today TransferWise is doing fine in the in the money movement space. So it hasn't killed off traditional ways of handling remittances, which was one of the original promises. It might be a better Certainly way to do it off, down the road, maybe, right? Maybe. Yeah. Certainly hasn't killed off art. It hasn't killed off gaming. I mean, what it has has done is captivated people that are interested in making quite a lot of money and that's fine but that isn't the the world changing thing that we often hear people discuss when they talk about web3 and i would love to see more income equality more economic distribution the things that are the higher level promises of, of what blockchain is supposed to become that's what i'm interested in much less today's nft mint for example uh, by the way uh obviously uh, the president of el salvador is all into buying the dip because when Bitcoin dropped, President Bukele bought 150 more. Great uh, investment opportunity for El Salvador. Yeah, that's that's going to solve the GDP issues there and the corruption and the gang violence is buying more Bitcoin. Buy more Bitcoin. Well, at least he yeah. bought it a low. <laughs> uh, <laughs> will it be a record low? I don't know. Uh, I think it's also very, we're going to take a break, but I think it's also very interesting uh, that venture capitalists have invested $27 billion this year in Bitcoin, more than all previous 10 years combined. That'll give you some idea of the acceleration of, of not Bitcoin alone, but crypto in general. That'll give you some idea. And, and clearly, It's a gold rush. It's a gold rush. And when gold you rush. see Staples Arena renamed Crypto.com Arena, when you see uh, the F1 race with Crypto.com all over all the cars, I was just watching the World Chess Championship. Even there... You see FTX, you see crypto everywhere because where all the money is. Um, but that doesn't mean to me that it's necessarily important in the sense that it's going to change the yeah. world, right? But those advertisements, Leo, are for crypto exchanges, essentially the, the, the gateway between the fiat world and, and the blockchain world. And they're not decentralized. They're not DAOs. They're just traditionally run corporations that have incorporation documents where you expect them to exist. So are those really like blockchain companies or are those just normal companies aping their way right. like a a more serious crypto company like Coinbase makes money from fees. Right, banks have been doing just like that a bank. since the dawn of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just like currency exchange. Uh, you know, Travelex—they're the Travelex of crypto. 
Um, and in fact, if, when you talk about native crypto, like Constitution Dow, there you go. It didn't go all that well. Then not only did they not get the printed Constitution, the con a printed copy of the Constitution, they lost their bid too. <laughs> a hedge fund billionaire, <laughs> uh, who was the guy who bailed out Coin uh, Coin uh, uh, Robinhood. Robinhood. By the way, Leo, as an example of how hopeful all of these folks are, we had about six members of the Constitution Dow on our show last weekend, and they were nothing but like, "Man, this is awesome." You know, like so we we were talking to them, I guess, 48 hours after they lost. And um, why were they they, bullish? Because you have to be bullish. Right. (laughs) You're running a con. They they were taking the position of, can you believe we did all this in a week? It didn't work out. Can you believe the gas fees ate away almost every single donation? Who made the money on Constitution Dow? The gas fee, uh, the gas, the Bitcoin, miners. Sorry, Ethereum miners. ETH, I'm I think mean, we call it ETH, but I'm I might be wrong. The ETH. <laughs> the what do we call it? The ETH. What do we call it again? ETH. 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 I'm just gonna I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go cry now. Yeah, go cry. Go to. Constitution yeah. DAO. All the money was made by the Ethereum uh, uh, gas fee miners. That I mean, they That's made the, a that, good. That's legitimately the reason why I didn't contribute because I wanted to put in a hundred dollars, and at the time, because gas fees vary by the hour, which is another great thing about it. Oh yeah, um, it would cost me one hundred and forty-five dollars to contribute my one hundred dollars. Yeah. Not only do you not know what your crypto is worth at any given point in time, you don't know what it's going to cost to even buy or sell it. Yeah, I tried to buy an NFT, and by the time I put my fifty dollars on Coinbase, moved it to. Uh, MetaMask and then brought it to OpenSea, which is an NFT exchange. I couldn't afford the gas fees to buy a free NFT. Yeah. So I was like, this is not an improvement. I believe this is still the first podcast that was minted as an NFT. But back in March, I minted a podcast episode as an NFT. Yeah. Now, I have 10 copies available. I've sold two, so there's eight remaining. But I haven't sold any more because... After the fees, even if someone offers me the equivalent of $100, I lose money if I sell it. <laughs> you lose money. Yes. <laughs> so w- welcome to Web3. It's like Visa, but way worse. I, and you have to pay. I, I appreciate you doing the experiment, Brian. That's, that was a good experiment. You, we've all learned something. Vice did the same thing. They, I think they tried to donate $200 to Constitution Tao. <laughs> By the time it got there and got back with the refund, they'd lost money on the whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, buyer beware. Although this, yeah. I have to say, uh, this Axie Infinity looks like a lot of fun. It's popular. I mean, people like to play Pokemon. Pokemon's a big game for a reason. It's still popular. I played Pokemon cards when I was in elementary school. Yeah. Like, and it's still a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, it's staying power. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I saved all my Beanie Babies from the uh, 90s. I hope someday I will be rich. Our show today, let's take a little break. We'll come back. Lots more to talk about. Um, our show today brought to you by Stripe. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> The complete payments solution. And yes, you can. I believe you can pay in crypto with Stripe. Stripe actually supports, and we use Stripe. One of the reasons we use it is Stripe supports 135 different currencies and payment methods. It is the payment platform. No question about it. That's why leaders of adaptive businesses, businesses on the move, choose Stripe 
as their payment platform. With Stripe, your business can easily optimize your payments infrastructure, simplify expansion plans, create new revenue streams, all to help you grow and initiate change rather than having to react to it. That's why Shopify uses Stripe and Postmates and Twilio. They all look to Stripe to power their global payments. And one of the things, and I didn't really know much about this until we started taking Stripe for Club Twit, but one of the problems in general with taking uh, credit cards or, or payment systems is authorization rates. You can really uh, lose a lot of purchases with a low authorization rate. Twilio increased its authorization rates by 10% with Stripe. They actually did an A-B test with multiple global payment processors. Stripe won easily. And to give you an idea of how much difference this can make, Stripe helped Postmates generate over $70 million in revenue by increasing their authorization rates. That is important. Stripe's easy to use once you integrate it. Their single platform, world-class stocks allow businesses to easily experiment like you know, an A-B test to scale, to grow revenue. Stripe processes billions of dollars each year for every kind and every size of business, from pre-seed startups to Fortune 500 companies. And they're always improving the platform. I'm always impressed. Hundreds of new features and improvements every year. So you will keep up with the industry. You'll stay ahead. And man, is it reliable. Five nines of API uptime. They handle more than 250 million, a quarter of a billion API requests every single day. We uh, launched Club Twit this year on Stripe. That's our payment platform. We're very happy. It's easy uh, for our customers, our listeners. Uh, it's seamless in accepting payments. We don't like to issue refunds. We don't have to. But when we do, it's very easy. Uh, we couldn't be happier. And with all those currencies, it means we're truly global, which you know is important to us. Uh, we're able to focus on the business of making these shows while Stripe handles the business of payments and money movement. That's just how I like it. I also like this, and you should, if you're a Stripe customer, flip this switch. Stripe Climate, you can direct a fraction of your revenue to help scale emerging carbon removal technologies. You might want to turn that on. So whether you're an online or in-person retailer, software platform, marketplace, or a subscriptions business like ours, visit stripe.com. To learn more about how Stripe can support your business today, Stripe.com, S-T-R-I-P-E. Learn more. Get started today, Stripe.com. Ah, okay. I'm sure the uh, Bitcoin bros are now going to say, well, I see why Leo's all against Bitcoin. He takes credit cards. Um, let's see. What else? There was some money spent, but not a lot on Cyber Monday and Black Friday. We had the Black Friday report last weekend. Cyber Monday sales dropped 1.4% from an already slow year last year, 10.7 billion. That's the first time ever. Uh, Alex, you say this is evidence that e-commerce growth is slowing. Yeah, so critical phrasing there. E-commerce growth is slowing, not that e-commerce is in decline. But we did see, I think it was year-over-year -year declines in digital sales for Black Friday and then also slight declines in Cyber Monday sales. Did it go up so a lot last year because of COVID? And is it now just kind of normalizing? Is that possible? That's my broader thesis about all of this because like a lot of folks, I've spent much of the last two years at home, which means I've already bought all right. the stuff from my house I could possibly want. We got a new dishwasher. You know, we bought Sonos. And so like now my house is pretty kitted out. I have a home gym now. And so when Cyber Monday comes <laughs> along or Black Friday, I, I'm like, oh, I'm actually kind of done. 
I, I've completed all that stuff. And so I, I wonder if there's just a... Is it also possible, I think this might be maybe a part of it. I noticed we're doing this. We're buying more locally. It's a little more expensive sometimes, but it's certainly less convenient. But we want to support our local merchants because we're terrified they're going to all disappear. Yes, very much so. Right? I think uh, all the, point. the restaurants are closing for sure. I'm worried a lot of stores downtown are closing. So I wonder if people are also saying maybe we should buy... Uh, spend our money locally we, we try to do that with books there's a, a bookstore yeah. in providence Support. called books on the square yeah. and we're trying to do most of our book buying there because we don't want them to go away they have a great children's book section we want to have kids i want that to be there when i have children every dollar um, you spend there books is a on dollar the amazon doesn't get books on the block <laughs> yeah you can use your eth there you know the, the I, I still don't think they take it. is actually worse than i think it's worse than it's it sounds mm-hmm. because one of the strange phenomenon phenomena that happened during COVID and continue to happen is that people are shift. People have shifted their purchasing from services to some degree to products, right? So uh, travel services, people are traveling a lot less, uh, all the things that people do for business travel, business travel is way down. So, um, you know, services in general, um, the kinds of services you can't take advantage of during a pandemic are down and people are buying products. And so, if you're looking at declines in what are essentially products on e-commerce, it's going to be even worse once the pandemic is over, because I think there's going to be a rush, a, a pendulum swing back to services and the money available to be spent to spend on products is going to, I think, crash to a certain extent as a correction. Um, so I guess we'll watch next year. Uh, I feel like e-commerce is here to stay, though, right? Oh, absolutely. That's the yeah. thing. Like, it, it's not that e-commerce is going to go away. It's that the rapid ascent of e-commerce as a percentage Growth of a larger is economy yeah. is slowing. Yeah. Right. And so we saw this in Amazon's earnings. AWS crushed it. The broader e-commerce business at Amazon was kind of soft. Yeah. Shopify had its first kind of quarterly miss, if you will, in, so, in its history as a public company, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're seeing signals that this great uh, acceleration of e-commerce or the movement to e-commerce is slowing. But um, Amazon's not going away. You know, there's still going to be struggles in the in the town square. But I, I, I think that we are seeing a bit of a reversion towards a more normal period of growth, which matters and, a and, lot, frankly. And, and speaking of uh, the new normal, I mean, I think, you know, for, for a while, for, for several years, Black Friday was a thing. Cyber Monday was a thing because it, it, there was a certain novelty to it. There was a lot of competition to drive down prices. There was a lot of loss leading uh, and so on. And now I think we've gotten to a new normal where essentially there are discounts all year long. That's true. Um, yeah. And, and it's really not that big of a deal. So anymore. it might be spread out, not just that down, just spread out more. Exactly. It, do, it doesn't make sense for a lot of companies to compete for that, one, you know, on low price for that one day when they can offer a super low price in the middle of February and like get all the sales for that, you know, for that particular moment. So I, I just think I, I just think it's kind of over now. Yeah. Also, fake shopping holidays are stupid. Like, why? Yeah. Why do we have Cyber Monday? One terrible name. Two, <laughs> just awful branding in general. Three, it's a Monday. I'm busy. I'm working. It comes go, from, go f off. Let me, Brian McCullough. He's the internet historian. I'm sure can explain this. It comes from the idea, and the word cyber is the dead giveaway. <laughs> that back in the day, you would wait to do your online shopping until you got to the fast internet at work, 
the day after thing, you know, Monday after Thanksgiving. So it was Cyber Monday. But now most people at home have faster internet than they do at work. So nobody's waiting till Cyber Monday to buy stuff. But I think the larger point, they're spying not only all November, they're buying all year long. I mean. You could surf the internet superhighway in cyberspace yes. at work much more <laughs> precisely. Yeah, the internet superhighway is faster. Bob modem at yeah, work. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Another thing to put into buzzwords this. now like ETH and uh, you know, <laughs> blockchain. GM. Yeah. GM. Web three Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, another thing to keep in mind is that there are some supply chain issues in these numbers. Yeah. So, for example, I, I tried to buy an iPad and I wanted to get an iPad Air. I wanted to get the rose gold one because I bought a pink iMac recently. And I wanted to kind of match. Ooh. And so I went to the Apple store and they didn't have any iPad Airs in Providence and they didn't have any regular iPads either. So I was on the website trying to find one to buy for a long time. Ended up buying a refurbished iPad Pro just because it was the only one that would ship to me. Um, but I think there's just some stuff that people want that may have a high uh, dollar amount or high ticket price that is just not available. And that may have also led to some softness in the numbers. Yeah, for sure. Uh yeah, I mean, you couldn't buy a car. You couldn't buy a lot of things. I don't know if people buy a cars on e- e-commerce, but uh, certainly those shortages must have very much had an impact. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a lot of stuff going on right now that adds to these numbers. But I think even given all of these caveats, the fact that we saw some declines in volume of sales on these two kind of faux shopping holidays is still a data point worth considering. It's worth chewing on, but not changing yeah. your view of the broader market form. As, as the supply chain crisis itself, there are a whole lot of very complex reasons for it. And, um, you know, it's not just one big thing. And speaking of which, Alex, do you have any predictions on when the supply chain crisis will, uh, will ease up, especially around electronics? 713 days and two hours. <laughs> okay, good. I learned no, actually, something Mike, very... Mike, to be honest, I have no idea. I learned something very interesting about the supply chain. I thought it was... Uh, you know, we couldn't make enough chips. Maybe it's the legacy, what they call legacy node, the older chips. But I learned that one of the biggest problems has nothing to do with chips. It has to do with substrates. And there was a substrate fire factory uh, a while ago. The companies that make these uh, substrates are having a really hard time making enough. There's actually a good article in the Wall Street Journal the chip shortage has made a star of this little-known component. Sourcing a low-margin part called the substrate has become a priority for Intel, NVIDIA, and AMD. You can't make the chips without the substrate. And because of you know various shortages, we're running out of substrates. So there you there's, go. I'll give you that for your also- TechCrunch uh, Plus article. You can tell the world about substrates. Thank you for working in a plug there with the elbow. I appreciate that. Um, I want to throw in there's other small bottlenecks. For example, there's there's a Dutch company that has this specific chip making tool that is very hard to get. And they have essentially a lock on, on that part of the market. And the U.S. wants to prevent that tech from reaching China. And so there's like, you know, the, the, the chip shores can also be kind of focused down to like one Dutch company, which is not the way you think about the global yeah. interconnected economy that we live in. Um, but there's more weakness than you think because you've stripped all the fat out of the supply chain in in kind of this this pursuit of marginal profitability at the major corporate level. And so when something goes wrong, it goes really, really wrong because there's no built-in Kushners in the system. We've yeah. just taken all that out. That ju- all that I, just-in-time stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. so yeah. 
I don't know. Have you, Leo? Do you ever have Chris Mims from the uh, Wall Street Journal? I, I, I know him by his byline, but no, we've never had him on. Yeah. So he had a, he has a book. This is a great Christmas present. Chris is a friend, but I, I'm I, he's not paying me to pimp this book. But um, it's called Arriving Today from Factory to the Front Door. It just came out like two months ago or something, and it's all about supply chain stuff and he started writing it Good right when wow. covid hit right yeah, you can't you can't get it, the book though because of supply chain <laughs> <laughs> actually books books have been there's been shortages of books recently uh, uh, anyway but um so i highly recommend this book because he literally follows a usb charger from a factory in vietnam you know shipped across the oceans then on a truck and so he you know he, he goes into each and every segment of how something gets to your door across this global supply chain and one of the takeaways and from his subsequent reporting on this stuff too because as he says he this is accidentally his beat now that now he's the king chain, of supply chain yeah, yeah is the biggest story in the world is this idea that it's almost an accident of history that since the berlin wall fell and globalization happened, relatively speaking, the world was a relatively stable place. And so the supply chain took out all of the slack, as Alex is talking about, where to get, you know, something sitting in a warehouse is, is costing a corporation money. So they only, they, seven days after it's made, they want it in your hands, right? And so there's this thinking now that 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 was, again, an accident of history that needs to be corrected because maybe going forward for the next few decades in theory and hopefully, or I don't know, maybe even longer, but um, that you can't rely on the globe being stable enough not to have this level of disruption where a hurricane can knock out chip supply or, you know, a, a, a global pandemic can do things, you know. And so th a lot of the thinking now is that we need to build capacity back in and take the slackness and put it back in the system. This is probably it's a larger conversation for another day. And maybe uh, we can get some people with some expertise in this. But I also think it might have been a mistake to rely so heavily on China and Taiwan for so much of this. Uh, because it's given chi China a huge leverage against the world, and frankly, you know they have they're they're they have eyes on Taiwan. They're arming up on Taiwan, and uh, I wonder. You know, I was talking about this with Lisa the other night. What would we do if uh, China decided? Yeah, we decided we're going to take Taiwan back. Uh, would the United States have the willingness to go into a global what would certainly be a world war against a uh, superpower over Taiwan, and yet? Without Taiwan and China's manufacturing capacity, we, we, we lost the war without a, without a shot fired. Well, well this is I, why don't we forget need, how... Go ahead, Mike, first. Yeah, I, oh, this is why we need diversification of the supply chain. I mean, one of the things, you know, the, the essential way that c complex electronics are built is that many of the components are from multiple Asian countries. They go by ship into China... And then they're assembled in final products with additional components that are made in China and then shipped out from China. And the ports in China have been just overwhelmed constantly for most of the pandemic. And so a lot of the dock workers were sent home because, you know, of quarantines and stuff like that. And then by the time they come back, all the ships are like out there waiting. And so it's, it's, it's not just the manufacturing part. It's not just the substrates. It's, Dumb stuff like shipping. And there's a trend in cybersecurity where, where, where uh, hackers are targeting ports 
uh, for oh, really? uh, ransomware attacks. Oh, nice. And so the, the port of Los Angeles is completely backed up. Lots of the ports where things come and go. So, yeah, w- what we need is to get everybody thought it was the greatest thing in the world to have this just in time stuff, no inventory. Everything was shipping at the last minute. Everybody's patting themselves on the back at how efficient that was. But what we really need is we need to get back to inventory. We need to have lots of diversification. A lot of that stuff that's happening in Asia needs to move to Latin America and elsewhere. Uh, also, and I think that process has begun. Uh, yeah. Certainly it Biden has. Has, is funding a lot of that. We TSMC is building a $17 billion fab in Taylor, Texas. So that, But it takes a long time. It takes several years to build those plants. Yeah. Um, this because is, think about it, one of, and I only know this because I'm reading great Bloomberg articles about this, but it, it, it's affecting everybody. China invading Taiwan can't happen yet, even if they wanted to, because if they invaded Taiwan and blew up all the factories, they don't have the chip capacity. They're just as bad, they, they, about bad they, off they as discovered, we are. <laughs> they discovered that when the Trump administration started to have the trade war with them and they lost access to certain um, uh, chip designs and chip technology. Yeah, look what happened so to Huawei. Yeah. They're on this crash course, even in China, to build local chip fabs because if they lost access to Taiwan, they'd be up a creek just like everybody else. We're all the real message of this is that we are all in, interdependent, yes. and uh, we cannot afford to fight each other. We've got to work together. There's a lot of problems that are global that we've got to solve, and yeah. uh, and and battling over territory or political mindshare is a foolish thing to do at this point. We need to we need to solve our problems. Uh, Somebody's been watching that Beatles documentary. That is a good, yeah. by the way, that's <laughs> no. a good way to waste 18 hours of your life. <laughs> no, guys, we can't talk about the Beatles. I, I, I've i already picked a fight with the crypto guys. I can't also get in trouble with the boomers. Oh, no, no. It's. It, I've been watching it. You have to, I mean, you got to bring a lunch because each one of them is three, three hours and there's three of them. And it's mostly just the Beatles sitting around going, I'm bored. What do we do now? Should we make an album? Okay. <laughs> I'm leaving. Goodbye. It's just, it's really, at one point, Peter Sellers wanders in because he's about to make a movie next door at Twickenham Studios. And the guys are sitting around, I don't know what to do. What should we do? And Sellers sits there for about five minutes and goes, and then somebody says, you want a cup of tea? He says, yeah, no, I can't. I'll be, I'm, bye. <laughs> he, he's sitting with the Beatles, who even, you know, at that time, in 1968, they were pretty big. Uh, and he's even he's bored. They were too boring for they him. They were too boring for Peter Sell. So, but it is fascinating to watch, and especially when Paul starts noodling at the piano and, in effect, writes "Let It Be" in front of you, is is amazing. So I'm glad that exists. Not a Beatles fan, Alex. Beatles were fine, but I, I, I view them as a little bit over-indexed upon, and yeah. I find this sort of documentary to be slightly. That's why um, it's great. Can we say masturbatory? That's why it's great. No, 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 that's why it's great because we've never it's never before been seen. Uh, it gives you insight if you are like me, Beatles obsessed and you've read every book and all that because things happen there and you want you're going that's how that happened. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, but the, the idea of the documentary about a, a, the music creation process is, is certainly not new. I mean, like Metallica got into a lot of trouble with um 
some kind of monster, which was a, a, an even deeper dive into the psychology of a, of a band at kind of the, the peakish of their popularity. Oh, I love it. When James Hetfield yeah. storms out and slams the door, it's over. And goes, <laughs> and goes right to rehab. <laughs> goes straight Where to rehab. Belong, which is fine. Um, no, I mean, all, all this is fine. It, it's just, it, it's just sop for boomers and that's fine. I, I have no well, beef with it. I, just, I guess I qualify. Yeah, it's fine. You're, I like you. You're fine by me. Yeah. I, I could, it was, it's, I haven't finished it because it's really long and not a lot happens, but it's fascinating when it happens. It's really like you're, you're watching this and you're going, he's writing, let it be. Do you realize that? He just, he's just, and he, he's, his uh, like one of the engineers is sitting next to him. He says, well, should it be find myself in times of trouble or maybe find myself in times to double? What do you think? And Glenn Johns, a tight trouble. And they're writing the song. In front of you, and it's, I don't know. Okay, never mind. Let's take a break. I'm sorry. I'm a boomer. What can I say? Have we talked about howdy-doody lunchboxes? Because I can go on and on about that too, Alex. Leo, fly your flag, man. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Don't, don't listen to me. There might be one buried out in the backyard out there. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll get a shovel. I like to bury stuff out there. Uh, Alex <laughs> Wilhelm, on the scene of my childhood home, reporter at TechCrunch, at Alex. Great to have you. Tech Good to be here. Crunch, what is it? Pro plus plus Tech Crunch Plus. Get yes. it for all his incisive writing. And the Equity Podcast. The Equity Podcast. Oh, Equity's great. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, In fact, I'm going to take the extra plug there, Brian. Thank you. But I'll, I'll nice. throw it back to you. Tech meme, ride home. Fantastic. It's nice. You guys both listen to each other's podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Really do. Yeah. And they re- and it's sincere. Uh, the Tech Meme Ride Home. You can find it at TechMeme.com right there on the front page. Brian McCullough, the host. Internet History Podcast and others. And, of course, Mike, Mike Elgin at elgin.com. And uh, the the uh, official photographer of Get Chatterbox, right? Yes, that's Get right. Chatterbox.com. Yeah. Uh, our show today brought to you by Worldwide Technology and Dell Technologies. WWT, if you are uh, a business and you know, you know, technology is the backbone of every business these days. But you need a partner when it comes to enterprise technology. I, can I make a suggestion? Worldwide technology. They are amazing. They're at the forefront of innovation. They work with clients all over the world transforming their business. And it all starts with the Advanced Technology Center. Fascinating. Started with one, you know, one rack in one building. And it's spread now many, many hundreds and hundreds of feet of racks in, I think, four or five buildings. It's a research and testing lab that brings together technologies from all the leading OEMs, more than half a billion dollars in equipment in this lab. This is where WWT's own engineers go to spin up proofs of concept and pilots so customers can confidently select the best solutions. They can play with stuff, learn about it. But here's the cool thing. It's open to you. You can use it too. Members of the ATC platform can run their own labs there. I mean, it's this is kind of an amazing gift to the world from Worldwide Technology. The ATC offers hundreds of on-demand and schedulable labs, things like Dell's VX Rail or Cyber Recover Solutions. You could try the Power Store, the Power Flex, the Power Scale, the Power Max, all the power. Unity, Data Protection Central, IDPA. These labs represent the latest advances in primary storage. And you can try it all. But it's not just storage. Other labs in the ATC represent the newest advances in multi-cloud architecture and security, in networking, in primary and secondary storage, in data analytics, and AI, DevOps, and so much more. 
With ATC, you can test out products and solutions before you go to market. You can access technical articles, expert insights, demonstration videos, white papers, hands-on labs, all the tools you need to stay up to date with the latest technology. And here's the best part. It's free as a member of the WWT platform. You can use this. They virtualized it. You can access these resources anywhere in the world. You don't have to go to St. Louis to do it. 365 days a year. Not just the platform, there's also events, there's communities, all sorts of places you can learn about technology trends. Hear the latest research and insights from the experts. I love this. WWT shares their knowledge, shares their resources, and it's all available to you if you go to WWT.com slash twit. Whatever your business need, worldwide technology can deliver scalable, tried and tested, tailored solutions. Because they know that it's not just about the tech it's about execution. It's about strategy. Tech only works if it supports your business and your business goals. They know that better than anybody, and they're the partner you want to help make this new world happen. To learn more about WWT, the ATC, to get access to all these free resources, again, www.com slash Twitch. Just create a free account on the platform. Amazing. Worldwide technology, www.com slash twit ftc boy they have been active under lena khan going after big tech now they've sued nvidia to block acquisition of arm this was gonna be the biggest semiconductor chip merger in history in fact, because ARM stock price has gone up, it was first $32 billion, then it was $40 billion. Uh, as of this week, <laughs> the cash and stock transaction is now worth $75 billion. And the FTC is about to scuttle the deal entirely. Alex Wilhelm, is it over for NVIDIA and ARM? It, it certainly seems so. I mean, we've seen a much more active American government on the antitrust beat. Um, just think back to what happened with uh, Visa and Plaid. That was a smaller deal, to be clear, and a different kind of industry. But I think this is uh, this is kind of the new normal now. What's the their objection to this? Because it seems to me this would be a good thing. Wh why? Does it make NVIDIA too powerful? I'll tell you why. We've got really Intel. We've got AMD. That's the x86 guys. Under ARM, we've got Qualcomm. Uh, we've got Samsung, MediaTek, a few small companies. We've got Apple, of course, making ARM. What would be wrong with making NVIDIA a big player in that space as well? The more the merrier, the better the competition. We clearly, that's one answer to the supply shortage, right? Well, why doesn't NVIDIA just get into the ARM business itself as opposed to Well, they are. Buying, they make well, Tegras. They make ARM processors. They buy, okay. they have an ARM, I'm sure that's an architecture license. They have an ARM license. ARM doesn't make anything. Right, they're a, they're a fabulous uh, design firm. Uh, well, do you want to have the fabulous design firm then, in that case, under the auspices of one particular company, or do you think they should stay independent? I mean, to me, to me, the anti-competitive angle here isn't too hard to see. Versus, I'm struggling to really figure out who's going to benefit from the the takeover aside from Nvidia. Well, and maybe not at that price, because I have to say, seventy five billion. <laughs> it's starting to look like maybe Nvidia might breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, here. Well, but that's also that's the problem for ARM and and SoftBank that owns them is that so if this deal goes down and and SoftBank is like all right fine we'll just do an IPO there's no way that IPO 
is going to be seventy five no. million dollars. No. So, but so so, and I don't also, think SoftBank is a better uh, owner to answer your question, Alex, than Nvidia would be. I think they're probably a worse owner. Go ahead, Brian. Are they? But but my question maybe to Alex is. Are they essentially unacquirable? Because is there a buyer for whom a strong argument, <laughs> anyone that could buy them, you could make the argument that, well, we can't let them buy them because then it's too strategic for everybody. They just cut everybody else off. That, that's a good point. Too dangerous. Yeah. It's but not that just, it's just that only applies. In, NVIDIA that lost. I'm sorry. Everybody's lost now. Nobody's yeah, that, that only applies to U.S. companies. So. Uh, the the FCC has no you know arm no, but the either. EU also investigated UK, which is where Arm is headquartered. Said we don't like this idea either. Um, I mean, I think there's a global yes kind of no, this isn't going to happen. China was also looking into the deal. Apparently, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure the Chinese Communist Party would love to buy Arm. Yeah, and then uh, cut us all off from it. Um, uh, to me, the the more important thing here is not this particular deal, but just the change in how technology transactions are being viewed by major governments around the world or governing blocks. And I, I, we just saw this recently with Facebook, sorry, Meta and Giphy. I think that was in the UK. Yes. It was also a the UK. Deal. I'm curious, can they force Meta to, to, to sell Giphy? That's what they say. I, I don't know how much market leverage the UK has outside of the European Union body, but we do know that the EU can throw its weight around. So, Well, the my, EU would probably be successful. But what, would, would yeah. Meta have to withdraw from the United Kingdom and say, okay, we, I guess we will ignore them and not do business there? Alex, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard they're considering that. That they're considering just, you know, being like, all right, we'll either take the fine that you would levy against us or rewrite it just for the UK market because it might be, it might be worth it to take any slap on the wrist to, to do this everywhere else in the world. Well, this is why I've been a, a big advocate for larger technology fines. What I find really funny is when, like, the FCC or the SEC yeah. is like, we fine Facebook a million dollars. Yeah, big And deal. I'm like, stupendous. Yeah. You just literally told them the price for doing this thing is a million dollars. They're right. going to do it 100,000 times because they don't care. Um, that was one of the strengths of GDPR is the fines were a, a, a percentage of your income, of your revenue. And, and I mean, significant fines, billions. On the point, though, about the actual NVIDIA deal, keep in mind, I just pulled this up to refresh my memory, but there were a, a huge chunk of shares involved. I think it was um, yeah, that's why it's 44.3 million. Yeah. Right. So what we're seeing here is the appreciation of NVIDIA right. uh, uh, in the uh, Bitcoin blockchain GPU era, if you will. And so they've essentially priced the deal in their own, their own currency, which went up in value. So you kind of screwed yourself to a degree, I think. Um, I, I don't know what, you know, on the one hand, I'm glad that governments are, are sitting up and, you know, developing a spine and saying, you know, this isn't a good thing, this, this kind of aggregation of tech. But on the other hand, I'm kind of terrified of the notion that governments are going to have such a huge influence on how tech companies get run. I don't know which is worse. I really don't. No, I don't think, I don't think that's entirely fair. And, and, and to, to, to bring up a point, why? Think about what Christopher Mims wrote, again, for the journal about um, neo-conglomerates. Uh, uh, recently, and how we used to kind of look up to GE that did you know everything from like airplane engines to like appliances, and now we're seeing major tech companies in that way. I, I don't see the government telling tech companies what they can and can't do. You're not going to break up Amazon. I mean, good luck, but not letting Amazon buy more smaller companies to increase its own in market heft seems very reasonable to me. We're not saying that Facebook can't make its own GIF product. We're saying that it can't buy Giphy, which is different. I loved this piece, by the way, from uh, your 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 pal. Chris, 
Move over, GE. The tech conglomerates are the new leaders of industry. And his uh, proposition is that Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, Meta are the, the big conglomerates as GE and others fade away. The dismantling of General Electric, Toshiba, Johnson & Johnson, Siemens, Dow, DuPont, United Technologies. Uh, that makes sense. The industrial era is over. It's the information yeah. era. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I have a small, I'm going to say something nice about myself. Um, I wrote a piece about this in like 2014. I'm like, these platform companies are just getting to be super huge. and They're doing everything now. And it's one of the very few things I've noticed slightly early that ended up being correct. Usually I'm wrong. <laughs> so I just want to give myself one point for actually getting just, something right. Just, you know what? You, you're so self-deprecating. Alex, little, just a little advice. Say, you know... I knew that back in 2014. See my article, Christopher Mims. <laughs> You're late to the game. You yeah, but, but Leo. Chest thumping here. It's okay. Yeah, 2014 me would have said that, but post rehab me has a much smaller ego. It's a different, so, it's a different Alex. Yeah. It's, it's an improved Alex. one, I hope. Yeah. Uh, yes, you were always great. You were always yeah. great. I've always, always enjoyed you, Alex. Always. I mean, yeah, Mims, Mims lumped together um, companies like. Amazon and Apple, which aren't really lumpable. They're in different terms businesses. Of yeah. Conglomerates. Yeah. Because, because Amazon does a vastly larger number of things that are completely oh, but unrelated. His point is Apple wants to, right? They want to get into cars. They want to do other things too. So, but I, my argument, which again, I'll thump my chest. I wrote this long before Christopher Mims ever wrote it. Even before <laughs> Alex <laughs> Wilhelm. Yes. Long before Alex Wilhelm <laughs> ever wrote anything like this. Um, a, 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 a Before he was a twinkle though. in the eye. Go ahead. <laughs> a self-driving car is not a car. <laughs> um, a self-driving car is a supercomputer and a robot. Yeah. And uh, actually, that's what Tim Cook, I think, said is it's a robot. We're building robots. Apple is in the artificial intelligence business and in the consumer electronics business going to be a content consumption device as much as it is a, a conveyance. And so... If Apple did ordinary gas guzzling cars with no, you know, no sophisticated computers, yes, that would be a different business. But the future of self-driving cars, the car that Apple's actually working on, is a lot more like a, you know, a lot more like an iPhone uh, than 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 a True. regular car is. True. Uh, Cook, uh, we were talking about this on MacBreak Weekly on Tuesday. Uh, Cook doesn't see himself as getting into the car business. He sees himself as getting into the autonomous robot business. That yeah. autonomy is what they're interested in. Yes. And it, cars is just one manifestation of that. That's kind right. of, that's kind of, that's a much bigger ambition. So, yeah. I, in a, you know, I think, well, currently Apple is not in Amazon territory, but they'd like to be. They'd like to diversify. I mean, the, the I biggest, the, the biggest uh, area that they're getting into that is unrelated to the business is finance. So the whole platinum card and all that stuff. I think that there's a huge future for Apple in in doing um, banking, essentially. Yeah, Alex Lindsay um, keeps and, wondering why they haven't turned Apple Card and Apple Pay into a bank. Alex is all I know from banks I learned in, bill, in the TV show Billions. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure that's representative, uh, I, but but I think Mr. Elgin is is dead on that there is a, a large future for them there because people have shown a willingness to give Apple control over parts of their finance. We trust in Apple the TV so show much their lives. Billions. Uh, <laughs> owning a bank was a, a completely different kind of business because of regulators, like Paul yeah. Giamatti. Like Paul Giamatti, yeah, he's tough. And then there's that. Uh, <laughs> 
Then there's the, oh, I don't know. It's a complicated Wags. story. Leo, Wags, Leo. Yeah. Wags, Wags's kids go to my kid's school. No kidding. So FYI, I see him. I love him. Times a week. He's a great actor. Yeah. Ask Dave, him, David Costable. If, yeah. if, ask David if, if uh, he read the article that said he is the Tinkerbell to, to Axelrod's Peter Pan. I'm curious. I'm just I'm curious. Sure he, he has a Google himself. alert on his name. Yeah, sure, yeah, it probably does. It probably does. Yeah. Is this how most people feel when people bring up bring up like NFTs? Because I have no idea. Yeah, we're doing this to like you on purpose. Paragraphs. Yes, we're okay. doing this to you on purpose. Okay. Uh, well, you don't have a Showtime subscription. Come on. Uh, I refuse to watch uh, capitalism. Um, oh, you have enough like, of it <laughs> during the day. Yeah, like I got plenty. <laughs> I don't need to watch Succession to realize I that love the companies are run by asshats. I love Succession. You know why? Because these guys are so, they're wealthy. They're the Murdoch clan, basically. They're multi, multi, multi-billionaires. And their lives are so dreary and horrible and miserable. And I just love that about it. <laughs> they, sure, you can buy your own island, but you're miserable on it. That's what I, that's what I like to hear. So, I, I watched the first episode and gave up. So oh, shout yeah. out to you for making it, gets, it further than It gets that. better. It gets even better. So Giphy, uh, so what is Facebook going to do? Are they going to divest? Oh, but gosh, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows quite yet, but I think it will be illustrative. What you're really asking there, Leo, is when you get hit with something like this, what is the big tech response? And I don't, I don't think we really have a playbook. It's just the beginning, because, isn't it? Yeah. Can they yeah. just disable? I mean, this is, you know, just for this particular instance, can they just disable it in the UK? And would that would be that enough? Would? That's what I've heard. Would That's the, what I've heard. Is you that can they disable would, Giphy, big deal. But would the UK then take arms against... Meta. Well, right, because like the, the the nuclear option would be, oh, what are they going to block uh, Facebook on ISPs across the land? Like they would never go that far. I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg would love it. That would be the best thing. It's just like when Google said to Spain, well, you don't want Google News? You don't get Google News. And Spain capitulated. I think, uh, go ahead, UK government. Challenge Facebook. To think about see, how your, see how your voters feel about that. Between Zuckerberg and Boris Johnson... Who would you rather have win a cage match? I'm really struggling to pick. <laughs> I would like to see them both in the cage match. Yeah, to be clear, though, but who would you root for? It's kind of like, I don't, mm, I don't know. Mutual assured destruction, I guess. Speaking of which, the Russians, this is crazy. When, is, when have ever people put the word crazy and Russians together? So ever. First time. Oh, yeah, first time ever. Yeah. The Russians are threatening criminal charges against a NASA astronaut they say drilled a hole intentionally in the International Space Station because they were homesick. Roscosmos, the Russian space corporation, has completed an investigation into the hole found in a Soyuz spacecraft while docked to the ISS in 2018. They've all along said, we think it was astronaut Serena uh, Onion Chancellor who wanted to go home... So intentionally uh, drilled a hole in their spacecraft? The NASA says we have cameras on all of the astronauts during the time this must have happened when the leak was detected. They were nowhere near this. NASA thinks it's, it was the Russians building the Soyuz that made a mistake. They screwed up and they they're covering it up. up and they're covering it up. Uh, crazy, man. That. The best part of the story, though, in the actual Ars Technica piece, there's a section called Russian Provocations. And the first sentence reads, the reality is that these, the Russian attacks, are indeed false. 
<laughs> just I love the declare yeah, how declarative that is. Yeah, this is it's, all the way BS. crap. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, and then the, and then uh, the Chinese, uh, or I'm sorry, the Russian military that shot its own satellite, testing their anti-satellite ballistic missiles, creating debris, which forced the astronauts to shelter for two hours because they were afraid the debris would hit the ISS. Oh, this is like having uh, a crazy neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who blames you because their bears have gotten loose. Yeah. Or more like a crazy flatmate who like takes your mixer and crashes it on the floor and is like, you broke it. You you're broke like, wow, it. Wow, you're a psychopath. You <laughs> What's wrong it. with you? Yeah. Do you want to hear uh, sounds, uh, the sounds of Mars? Would you like to? Yes. The sounds, ladies and gentlemen, the Mar Mars rover sounds from Mars. That's it. It doesn't. There's no difference. It's just going to sound like that. There's nobody. Hello, hello. But they put. They did to their credit. They put good quality uh, microphones on the, the Perseverance, and uh, now we hear. Actually, you're. I think you're hearing the the. John, correct me. Is the wheels moving? There's something you're hearing. Yeah. Sounds of space. Okay. Is that a typewriter? I don't know what that is. <laughs> just what I just know you should never write on the CMS. I just know that. That's all I know. Oh my gosh. I can't believe we're we talked about that. <laughs> we talked about that off air. Hours ago. Okay. Um do you remember that time on the internet when everyone would take little clips and like auto tune them and turn them into songs? Yeah, it was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We need to take the sounds of Mars and do like the dubstep remix of what Mars sounds like because that would actually be fun. I think that uh, they stopped doing the auto tune songs after uh, Songify this did the definitive auto tune with Mark Zuckerberg, ladies and gentlemen. Hey everyone, we are live from my backyard. Where I am smoking these meats, meat like a brisket. I'm making meats now. Someone asked me, do I smoke meats? That's gonna be delicious. Yeah, if I smoke meat, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Give me the sock, give me the sock. C-U-C-C sock. Say my name, baby. Give me the sock, give me the sock. I'm sorry. I can't stop playing this. Hello to you. Thanks for hanging out with me in my backyard while I'm smoking these meats, too. The thing about smoking meat is it takes a long time sitting around with my Wi-Fi. I like racing. Grilling meats, um, racing cars are two of the most fun things that you can do. Manual transmission, um, I enjoy that. Do I hunt? Um, yeah, smoking these meats. Mr. Zuckerberg. Zuck. Oh, no. It seems I was daydreaming again. <laughs> That's why I made clear that you have had subpoenas. Is that correct? Mr. Zuckerberg, what is Facebook doing to prevent foreign actors from interfering in U.S. elections? Uh, we are smoking meat, meat, meat like a brisket. I'm making meat now. Okay. Me, We're going to take a break. I'm sorry. I'm just going to watch this for the next hour. And uh, we'll be back with more This Week in Tech in just a little bit. All right. We had a great week on Twit. Let's watch this movie and uh, enjoy. Jeremy says, have you experienced a rattle from the cameras on the Pixel 6 Pro? I definitely have a rattle. I don't have a rattle okay. that way. 
Okay. But I have okay, a rattle if I do it this way. All right. This very scientific experiment. Shake, rattle, with- and phone. <laughs> Previously on Twit. Tech News Weekly. Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter for Square and Square becoming Block. It's a tangled mess. Especially over the last few months, he's really become more focused on Bitcoin and crypto in general. They've announced that they are going to come up with their own consumer hardware wallet. Hands-on photography. We're going to talk about moon photography and how you can capture moon photography with whatever camera you're using. Yes, I said whatever camera you're using. Windows Weekly. Microsoft keeps messing with Edge. There's some indication that this buy now, pay later may in fact literally be malicious and have serious problems. Um, it's not a Microsoft service. It's a third-party service. Wait a minute. It's so not yeah, even a Microsoft I, service. They, they just said to some third-party, go ahead, put your crap in so, our uh, browser. What so, so here, Twit. Tell your boss it's job-related. Now I have to shut it off because there's so many intrusive things like rewards are coming up. I got one that said, you can print out coupons on paper from this site. Oh, wow. You really? Yeah. Now we're, now we're <laughs> like, talking. Yeah. By the way, I got a rattle too, Jason, on my Pixel 6. That's just the optical image stabilization. Don't worry about it. He's going to blame me because, Mike, you know this. I, I borrowed his Pixel 6 and took it to Mexico. So I'd have pictures from Oaxaca, which came out great, by the way. Uh, and this is mine. It has the same thing. So don't blame me, Jason, for your... Your jiggles. Our show today brought to you by ExpressVPN. I love these guys. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like leaving your laptop exposed at the coffee shop while you run to the bathroom. A good VPN protects you, protects your privacy, and also gives you the chance to you know, watch Netflix in another country. There's three very valuable things a VPN could do, but there's something you should be aware of. If you're trying to protect your privacy and security, you rely on the VPN provider to be secure and private. And that's why I recommend and only use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is regularly audited to make sure that they protect your privacy and they protect your security. How do they do that? Well, in a couple of ways. First of all, they destroy all logs. They keep no track of your visit. And that's really important because they cannot be subpoenaed for what you were doing online. They can't sell your information on to marketers. They care so much about this. They actually wrote the trusted server technology they use, which when you join an ExpressVPN server, easy to do, press that big button on the app. Uh, they spin up into RAM only, the trusted server. It runs in RAM sandboxed. It cannot cannot write to the hard drive, so it can't log what you're doing. And then immediately after you close out the session, it disappears out of RAM. There is literally zero trace of you being there. That's what you want. It also protects you if you're in a coffee shop from being hacked. You can go out now and buy a Wi-Fi pineapple makes it easy to attack people's computers if they're sitting there on an open Wi-Fi access part point. But if, they, if you're using ExpressVPN, they can't see you're there. All they see is gobbledygook. Encryption, that's it. So it's an encrypted tunnel between your device and the Internet. They can't steal your data. They can't get into your system. And then, of course, there's the great geographic benefits. I love ExpressVPN. You can trust them. They spend money to make sure that their infrastructure is fast enough to watch HD video. In fact... 
one of the problems with some older VPNs was it was so slow, I didn't want to use it. With ExpressVPN, I leave it on all the time. You can run it on your phone, you can run it on your computer, but you can even put it on a router so that your entire home is protected. And I guarantee you, nobody's going to say, oh, what happened to the internet? It's going to be just as fast. You won't even know, but you'll be twice as safe. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. It works everywhere you go. It is the best VPN in the world. And right now, we got a deal for you. Three extra months free when you sign up for a year. That brings it down below 7 bucks a month. I know you can get free VPNs. How do they pay for themselves? You might ask that question. It's worth it. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash twit. Less than 7 bucks a month for absolute protection. Expressvpn.com slash twit. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash twit twit three months extra free with a one-year subscription protect your online privacy with express vpn i don't know even know what this means the headline is meta has chosen aws as its long-term strategic cloud provider i was baffled by this doesn't didn't facebook aka meta the company formerly known as facebook spend all this money to open Compute and network centers, and what do they need Amazon for? Alex, do you know? I mean, I, I have a hunch, which is that Facebook is a service used around the world by lots of people all the time. And Facebook is not going to put quite as much capital as Amazon is into AWS or Microsoft into Azure. Ah. And so they probably want to have someone to cover in some blanks. So if it's for global use, then that, that's my that's my read I, i'd love to get brian and mike to back me up and tell me if i'm wrong or right but that was my hunch when i when i saw this yeah i thought it was weird you agree guys well uh, yeah i think i think that um i think they're they're re-engineering or claiming to re-engineer the entire company around uh around the metaverse uh making uh social you know creating an alternative digital reality that we all live in and I think that they would like to focus on that and not focus on running gigantic data centers in the Arctic Circle and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I think it's just a focus thing. I think they've, if you can imagine what they're already up against with uh, the videos and photos that are uploaded and downloaded from Facebook every day with the number of users they have, it's just a catastrophically huge it's mind amount of data. Absolutely. Mind boggling. And now they're talking about, oh, let's increase that by a hundredfold. You know, it's probably, you know, AWS is probably one of the few companies that can handle that sort of ramp up that they're talking about. And they still have to deal with the photos and the videos, right? So it's all additional. Sorry, I was on mute, but um, uh, my only take would be, I mean, for, for things like this, uh, does it hurt to have your eggs in several different baskets? <laughs> you know, right? like uh, I know, I know if you're, if you're Microsoft, you want to do all of your stuff in house, but if that's not your main core business, then I'd have a little Azure. I'd have a little AWS. I'd have a little here, a little there. All right. Seems smart. All right. I won't worry about that too much. I wonder one, one last thing on this point. I wonder if their, their recent um, uh, blackout, uh, which was really embarrassing for Facebook uh, yeah. Where m multiple um, of their products went down as a P Facebook is incredibly PR driven, and that just made them look like a bunch of clowns. That you know, these stories about how they couldn't even get into their own you know server cage to <laughs> to fix it and all that kind of stuff. 
most of those stories were not true, but basically they had a big crash and everybody was kind of pointing and laughing at Facebook on Twitter. And so part of this might be um, just somebody else to blame if things go south. Because yeah, it's you not know. like that hasn't happened to AWS, by the way, and Microsoft. Right, but, <laughs> but again, if it's going to happen, it's better for Facebook to say those guys. <laughs> oh, it was, it's over there. Pay no yeah. attention. We were talking, or you saw in the promo, uh, about what Microsoft is doing with Edge, which is just reprehensible. They added a buy now, pay later feature. It's not an extension. You can't turn it off. They have a coupon search built into Edge. But there is some good news. This broke a couple of days ago. Tom Warren writing in The Verge. Uh, but I think actually it was Rafael Rivera uh, who found it. Um, for a while, the reason people were upset about Edge's being bloated was that Microsoft was making it really hard on Windows 11 to change the default browser. You couldn't just push one button and use Firefox or Chrome. You'd have to mm -hmm. go through every single app extension, every single document extension that a browser could open and say, yeah, I want that to be opened by Chrome. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that too. And it was a very long multi-click process that was just, from a normal person, probably undoable. Firefox figured out a way around it. Microsoft reversed that. They blocked Firefox from doing that. So we really thought they were going to make people use Edge as the default browser. Well, at least for now, they've backtracked on those browser changes. They're going to let you, with one button, as it used to be, change all of the uh, all of the things. So this is the di the dialogue you'd get where you'd have to go through every extension, HTM, HTML, PDF, SHTML, SVG. Now you can just click this one button. I hope that stays. Uh, they probably got a little bit of heat from... Uh, well, is, isn't everybody. it funny that everybody's remembering... Uh, the hits with Microsoft all of a sudden because Europe is is thinking of suing them for bundling teams. Um, so you've got bundling, you've got Microsoft playing fast and loose with browser bundling and, <laughs> and things like that. It's like everyone's like waking up and being like, oh, yeah, if we're going to do antitrust stuff, uh, Microsoft has gotten a free pass these last few years, but they're the OGs. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you can just hear echoes of the pre-Satya Nadella Microsoft in, in, the, in these issues. Like, who thought this was a good idea? Who signed off on this system? Who thought, oh, yes, we're not going to get a hit for this. We're not going to have to backtrack on this. This is not going to create problems for us. Let's make everyone use Edge. And then let's bake in some crap to try to what? <laughs> Real like, crap. Drive some tiny incremental revenue compared to their aggregate like well, that's uh, the question. Why would Who cares? Why would you even do that, Microsoft? Are you that desperate for revenue? No, they're not. Yeah. But I guarantee you there was an, uh, there was some corporate planning OKR about how Edge needed to drive X revenue by date Y, and people right. wanted to get their bonuses, so they followed it. It's just it, it's amazing that it got out yeah. and made it into the public and that they made the double-down mistake on Firefox and had to end up here. It was always going to end up here. And by the way, if you want to poison user trust, do stuff like this. For example, on iOS, it happened to be today. If someone texts you an address and you click on it, it wants to load Apple Maps. Well, I deleted that and I run Google Maps like everyone else. But iOS, when you click on an address, says, oh, you don't have Apple Maps. Right. Do you want to download it? And I'm like, no, I want <laughs> no. you to send me to my mapping it's application. A reason. <laughs> I know you can do that, Apple, because you're not made up of morons. You're just trying to get me to use your crappy product. And it makes me really hate iOS. So, like, don't do this, Microsoft. What the hell? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. I agree. Yeah. Frank, Frank Shaw is going to send me a tweet, but I'm still right about this. Well, next week we're going to have the, 
<laughs> Chief Marketing Officer Chris Capicella on Windows Weekly. That should be fun. I'm surprised he still wants to be on, but okay. Chris, Chris, Chris is nice. I, I know no, him on Chris Twitter a little great. bit. Chris is great. Chris. Uh, he's, and he's always straightforward and honest. Um, you know, and this is the thing you learn is that these companies are filled with great people, uh, but they don't necessarily control every aspect of the company's operation. I'm, you know, and somebody in marketing at Microsoft said, you know, we really need a buy now, pay later plug-in for Edge and forced it through. Probably yeah, not. but here's the thing. Brian's right. There is a different climate of antitrust and making mistakes of now this sort. Now yeah. it's it's the worst possible time to appear to be a platform player over leveraging your your built-in advantages. Just stupid. Don't stupid. do that. Don't do it. Um, Especially if you've been skating so much lately, everybody forgot to invite them to all the congressional hearings and whatnot. Well, yeah, that's right. But yep. this was a good time for Microsoft just to keep its head down and and pay no attention. And keep maybe that's why they did it. There were people left out. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. <laughs> we really want to go to go to Washington D.C. Sacha is lonely. Yeah. Lonely. A new rule will allow debt collectors to track you down on social media. You, they can't DM you, but they can. Or I guess they can't tweet you in public, but they can DM you. Yes. Uh, e email, text messages, social media, all uh, open. These are changes to the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. They were introduced uh, under the Trump regime and now uh, are law. So uh, get ready for uh, your creditors to slide into your DMs. Maybe we'll. Is this, is this thing we should be upset about? I mean, I, I don't, you know, they can do it, but you can block them. Right. I, I feel you know, like so I, it's fine. I mean, yeah, exactly. What are you they gonna, can call you. They can send you a letter in right. the mail. So why not? Why not your publicly known Twitter account? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just making sure we've covered all of our bases. I did want to mention uh, the passing of Jim Warren. I don't know if any of you knew. Mike, do you remember Jim? Uh, no. He was uh, the guy who created the West Coast Computer Fair. Aha. Uh -huh. In fact, you might remember the famous uh, images of him roller skating around. This was... Back in the 70s, this was where the Apple II was introduced. In fact, here's a picture of uh, Steve Jobs at the Apple booth at the first West Coast Computer Fair. Um, it was really a big part of early days uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, Jim Warren was a great guy, passed away uh, at the age of 85 uh, this week. So I just wanted to uh, mention that. A very important person in the early days of uh, personal computing. And now... I think we can let you all enjoy your Sunday evening. Mike Elgin, let's give a plug to Chatterbox. What do you say? I would love to, and thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, Chatterbox is my son Kevin's uh, brilliant educational product. And it's a smart speaker like an Amazon Echo, but kids build it themselves, then they program it themselves. And then after that, they have this smart speaker that's totally private. There's no way for Chatterbox or any other company to know who the user is. So it's unmonetizable in any other way other than after you buy the product. And it teaches AI literacy, which is super important because kids these days are the first generation to grow up in a world where there's a talking AI thing in their house, right? So psychologically, we're not really prepared for that. And the way to teach kids what that thing is, is to build one. So that's it. And it's a big push for schools now. Um, this year, uh, next year, rather, uh, there's going to be uh, Kevin's company is going to create all kinds of brilliant curriculum 
uh, to help uh, teachers teach all these programming concepts. And kids love it. It's like super fun. So yeah, hellochatterbox.com is is where to go to find out more. And it's just a it's just a brilliant product. And I love it, but uh, I'm biased. <laughs> uh, and how's he been able to get uh, parts? Because I know uh, it uses a Raspberry Pi, right? Yes. Well, one of the 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 uh, the voice hat part is proprietary, and everything else is open. The hardest part has been Raspberry Pis, and so he's been kind of hoarding them for a long time. So he's able to fulfill <laughs> Christmas orders and stuff like that. But he's he's nervous about it, yeah. and you know, hoping that that starts flowing uh, sooner rather than later. But that's the hardest part is the Raspberry Pis. Yeah, yeah. you you can buy one off Raspberry Pis if you're a consumer on Amazon. If you get the kit with the with the keyboard and all that stuff, you can buy that, and it'll cost you 150 bucks. Ah, there you go. But to get, but he needs hundreds of just the Raspberry Pi fours, and that you cannot get right now. So okay, he's working on it. You can probably Which get threes a little bit easier. So the the other and, chatterbox and can use three. Chatterbox well. works with. All of them. Oh, all of them. Okay. Uh, which is which is nice, but um, but fortunately for schools and also people who are inclined toward this t- type of product, many of them already have a Raspberry Pi. That you know, a lot of schools bought Raspberry Pis, thinking, right. "Wow, we're going to teach kids about computers," and they're just kind of sitting there. They don't know right. what to do with them. Here you go. So for those kinds of schools, this is a fantastic product. You, he also sells the Chatterbox with no Raspberry Pi in it, and uh, of course for re- reduced price, greatly reduced price. And so schools and individuals can buy those and use the Raspberry Pi they already have. So it's it's pretty great. That's a brilliant idea. And uh, Gastro Nomad, I imagine you're sold out for Prosecco. We are not. We're doing a pretty big Prosecco. Oh. No, we we normally only have three couples for that one. But this time uh, we're going to have, I believe, uh, six couples. And so we already have three couples signed up, but we have room for two more couples. So (gasps) that's going to be... Amazing. Um, and so, you know, I'd recommend if people want to really, if you want to really score big with your spouse for Christmas, <laughs> a gift. Uh, as somebody who just came off your most recent gastronomad adventure, highly recommended. Highly. Thank recommended. you, Leo. Yeah. I appreciate so that. Much I really fun. appreciate that. And I, and gained I, about I had eight so much pounds. fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. It happens. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget it. It was really an amazing uh, experience. You and Amira do an amazing thing. So. Well, thank you. And your, your pixel photos, we, are, we were in so many low light situations because it was Day of the Dead. We were in a cemetery after midnight. We were in all these low light situations. And your, your pictures are some of the best ones. Well, Mike is the uh, official photographer. So uh, uh, I probably shouldn't show all of these because I don't know. Oh, you can. You can. can it's I? totally fine. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Show so me of them. Th- it was, I mean, the, there were so many great things. And you really do a great job taking pictures. Um, Thank you. A lot happy, of food pick. Yeah, a lot of food. A lot picture. of food. But there's people, happy people. Here we are enjoying our final meal. That was so much that's fun. A, that's that beautiful church in the background across yeah. the across yeah. the cobblestone lane there that's oh, a beautiful spot it was a really uh, uh god the food and the and the people and i love uh, oaxaca i just really love the uh, people there it was just so much fun they're just such yeah. wonderful people yeah 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 uh mr uh brian mccullough tech yes, meme sir. ride home podcast i thought you were doing seven days you've cut back to six huh no, what it is, is we've always done five days a week because that is the um, 
Monday through Friday minute yeah. news roundup. Yeah. yeah. Um, where it's just the news of the day. And then um, on the weekends now, uh, Chris Messina, inventor of the hashtag, oh. is my co-host. Oh, I didn't we, know that. I love Chris. We uh, we do these bonus episodes where, for example, uh, we had the Constitution Dow folks on. Uh, as I told you, uh, when Twitter launched um, uh, Twitter Blue, we had Kayvon on. Um, Chris is really good at getting guests because he knows everybody. He knows everybody. So, He's worked everywhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When when NFTs were were popping again, we had some big NFT folks on there and stuff. So essentially, um, the weekend bonus episodes are sort of deeper dives into stuff. And so nice. that's the that's the sixth day of the week. Nice. So. Oh, go give Chris my regards. I had no idea he was helping you out. That's he's. A legend that created the hashtag, baby. Exactly. That's exactly. Uh, that's pretty good stuff. And yeah. we have a good rapport, which happened accidentally because he just started coming on regularly. And then I'm like, well, why don't we do this officially? So nice. he's, Very a, nice. he's officially the co-host. Ridehome.info for the tech meme. Ride Home Podcast. It's great to have you, Brian. And of course... Thank you, sir. Alex, who is the caretaker of my childhood home, Alex Wilhelm. Reporter at TechCrunch, you said you're trying to have children? Yeah, that's the stage of life that I'm um, I feel like I'm currently in. <laughs> this is kind of like the Alex Trebek moment on Jeopardy. <laughs> and our contestant from Rhode Island, you're trying to have children. <laughs> yes. I, I didn't know this was a game show. What, what did I win, Liam? It's always the part of Jeopardy I skip through. <laughs> It's the contestant interviews. It's like, who cares? I don't care. Just go back to the questions. So uh, yeah. good. Congratulations to you and Liza, your wonderful wife. I hope everything's going well in Rhode Island. And uh, techcrunch.com. TechCrunch. Yes, get the TechCrunch Plus feed because that's where you get the best stuff from Mr. Wilhelm. The Anything? Equity Podcast. Equity Podcast. And don't forget the Equity Podcast, which is a must yes. listen. If you are into startups and venture capital and want to hear people talk about startups and venture capital, equity is for you. If you are not into those things, you will hate it. So, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of like it's either for you or it's not. Oh, we it's, didn't, it's the, you know what? We didn't even get to talk about Block. So if you want to know more about Square's new name, go listen to the Equity Podcast. Yes, they the do Vegemite it three podcasts. days a week. Three days a week? How do you survive? Join uh, Alex Wilhelm. Let me try this now. Natasha Mascareñas and Marianne Azevedo. Yes. yes. That is our Friday crew. I do the Monday show solo. Wednesdays we niche to a single topic and Friday is our news roundup. It's and a good time. Amanda um, Silberling joins you for that. Actually, so. can, I just, can I just say, Leo, we hit our five-year anniversary of equity, uh, I think, in March. And, and I am in awe of how fast time moves. Yeah. That, that took me by surprise. Yeah. Five years is yeah. nothing. People used to ask me when, it, you know, we'd have our hundredth episode and they say, well, don't you want to celebrate that? Talk to me when we are at a thousand. Okay. You know, a hundred is nothing. It's nothing. So this is twit number eight, five, two, according yes. to my notes doc. So That's we're right. three years away from episode a thousand. That's right. Take. And I think okay. we're going to make it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Unless the lights drop from the ceiling and hit me in the head, we shall be doing an episode 1000. I, can well, I request to be, to be on that one? Because that would be fun. Aye, deal. Deal. Done. Done. Brian, Ooh, I'm going to be on it too. I, yeah, yeah, you too. Brian, you too. Everybody, you're all going to be on Leo, it. Yes. I don't know if you remember, you quit earlier in this show. You retired, right? Oh, you yeah, were, that's you're right. You're going to your other company. What yeah. am I doing now? Blockchain? 
Yes. That's right. Unlocking you're, my you're, wallet. You're flipping NFTs with your resident DAO. Actually, if I if it took me a whole year to guess the password of my wallet, it would still be worth it. <laughs> How many Bitcoins did you lose? 7.85. I didn't lose them. I got them. I just can't yeah, get to them. It's a quarter million dollars in there, man. That's, More than that. Uh, I get to write half. the press release. Yeah. Leo Laporte, the famous podcaster Leo Laporte, retired saying he wants to spend more time with his Bitcoin password. I do want to spend more time with my wallet. <laughs> That's true, actually. That's true. Thank you, all three of you. What a pleasure. Always fun. Uh, you're, you're the greatest. Uh, thank you to all of you, our listeners. And thanks especially to members of our Club Twit because they made this possible along with our sponsors. Uh, Club Twit is the way to hear ad-free versions of the show. If you don't like the ads, seven bucks a month, no more ads. Plus the uh, access to the fabulous Discord, which is always a lot of fun. We had a, uh, an event with Mary Jo Foley on uh, Friday. In fact, that'll be on the Twit Plus feed, which is also part of your Club Twit membership. Lots of stuff behind the scenes. Mike and Amira Elgin, you're going to join us uh, next month. No, this month. When? Uh, uh, I think it's next month. Yeah, next Looking month. Looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. Well, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about a lot of stuff that we don't normally talk about in public because it's a it's a it's for the club, right? So yeah, you're not going to be much more open about you're what in we with do the friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, it really is a the Discord has been as it turns out the most interesting part of the, the club. It's great. Not only uh, do we chat about the shows as the shows are going on, uh, but every other possible aspect of geek life, including. Stacey Higginbotham's Science Fiction Book Club, Ham Radio. There's a philosophy channel, a sport ball channel. <laughs> and we'll be talking about the Twit Cruise. In fact, we want everybody who's going on the Twit Cruise to join the club. That way we can have our own private back channel uh, when we go on that Twit Cruise in uh, July. And I would like to shout out to those of you who think you're going to miss out on the ads if you join the club. You can still get the ads. <laughs> yes. There's a channel. Which is what I do. I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> right? so. One of the uh, Discord server uh, things is all the ads. <laughs> so you can get all the ads if you want. I don't know why you'd want to, but you can. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, Mike, for, th for that. I appreciate your listening to uh, all of the ads. Um, if you want to join the club, we'd love to have you. Uh, all you have to do is go to twit.tv slash club twit for all the information. Uh, and we appreciate that. Uh, the show uh, is recorded live before a live out-of-studio audience every Sunday evening, 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern, 22.30 UTC. You can watch the show live stream or listen to it at, at live.twit.tv. And then if you're doing that, you should chat. You can chat live, as I mentioned, in the Discord server. But everybody's always welcome also in our IRC server, irc.twit.tv. After the fact, on-demand versions of the show are available at our website, twit.tv. There's also a This Week in Tech YouTube channel. I think, Mike, you're in that picture. Is Mike in that, uh, that is That is my, the back of my That's head, back yes. of your head there. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's at twit.tv. If you are a listener after the fact, you know, an on-demand listener, please continue the conversation at uh, twit.community. Those are our forums, our discourse forums. They're really fun, a lot of fun in there. And uh, we also have our own Mastodon instance. You can see it right at the bottom of the screen, twit.social. And I'm on there as well. Um, and, of course, the best way to get the show, it certainly helps us if you do this, whether you're watching live or not, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. That way you'll get it automatically every week when it's available, and you won't have to ever wonder what you're going to listen to on a Monday morning. Plus, 
if your podcast client allows reviews, please, we want to catch up with Brian McCullough's 4.7 star review here. We want five stars, so leave us a five star review, and uh, that would help spread the word about what is, I think, now the world's longest running tech podcast since 2005, This Week in Tech. I'm Leo Laporte. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. Another twit is in the this can. This is amazing. GM. Doing the twit. Doing the twit. All right. Doing the twit, baby. Doing the twit. All right. Doing the twit, baby.